The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. It is I, your carpenter upon Thunder Road, your host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined <laughs> on the line, as I am every single week for the last month, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? You got me with that one. That was a good one, Carpenter. Yeah, I was looking around. I did for three weeks in a row. I'm really slacking on actually having a pre-prepared bit. I was just looking around, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm recording in my sitting room, and I can see the the fireplace, uh, the wood around the fireplace, and that's carpenter came from that. <laughs> Fair enough. So I'll tell you what, though, like the bit of blind panic wakes you up for a podcast. I'll tell you that. I mean, at least we're not live, like so you could have re-recorded if you got really stuck. But you know, I could have, as we did last week yes. with our little cold <laughs> open. Um. But yeah, we're we're here for um, not quite an official entry on Thunder Road. We've kind of done a U-turn and backtracked a little um, as part of our plans to keep the weekly content train rolling throughout the month of May uh, during lockdown. Uh, Lee has picked for us a couple of retro pay-per-views and we'll either get both done this month or if we get our Pick Your Poison we've planned in, we'll get one in this month, one in next month. I do, um, I do like the way you early on in the show pin the blame right on me for this oh. one. Oh. Oh, firmly so my friend <laughs> I just want anybody who watched watch this along with us or anybody who's going to have to hear me get sadder and sadder as this show progresses I want them to know exactly who is at fault for this one I want people to notice that was a very low key kind of chill intro by Mr. Ryan there and that's yeah. because he only finished watching the show I want to say an hour ago an hour and a half ago uh, about 40 actually no because we were delayed getting yeah. online so about about 40 minutes before we were due to start yeah. the program yeah it's uh that's yeah you get low energy right this <laughs> evening because one i just finished the show so i'm still in the post show slump uh and two as i was saying to lee off the air it's college deadline season so the course i've been doing um part-time uh when i'm not working um I think I like I usually I, I usually go to that class before when everything was normal I would go to that class the night these show drops these shows drop but um because of everything now all the deadlines have moved around so like all our assignment deadlines have been compressed into the next two weeks oh, which nice. is uh, a little bit stressful 
but um yeah so i'm kind of yeah i'm I'm a bit low energy but i'm hoping that the show the both the good and the bad will will rouse me out of that in in short order but um how you know enough about me how have you been this week fan I'm good, yeah. I'm in, I'm in good spirits. I'm, I was awake early this morning as usual for work. I had a little nap when I came home. <laughs> nice and refreshed to talk about this pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this no, I, I, I had a nice bank holiday weekend. You know, chilled out a bit. Watched plenty of Avengers movies. I think I watched like six or seven <laughs> Avengers movies wow. this weekend. Yeah. So you've like you've been getting through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I assume this yeah. is on um, Disney Plus, is it? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, so is this your first time watching a lot of them? Or? Yes, it is. I watched the first Iron Man. Yeah. Then I jumped into Guardians because I love the Guardians. I thought that was just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and then Guardians 2. And then I jumped back out because I said, right, if I'm going to watch them, I'm going to watch them in um, order. order. And yeah. I said I'd wait and wait. And as soon as I heard Disney Plus was going to have them all, I said, right, perfect. Hmm. So I started watching with Connor, but he... I think that's like just torn seventy. Still a bit, a bit too young. Yeah, I think that kind of like, you know, maybe eight nine is yeah. when the he, real kind of superhero thing started for me. He he's into it, but he yeah. hasn't got the patience to be into it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I just said, you know what, this weekend I'm gonna blitz through a load of them, and I've got as far as Ant Man. So you might know how far in that is. So that's like phase two, middle okay. middle of phase two, because that's after Ultron, isn't it? It is after, after Ultron. Ultron. Yeah, so obviously yeah. I skipped the Guardians movies as I was watching along, because yeah. I've seen them plenty of times. Is that is the next one Civil War? I think Civil War is the next one. Yeah. I was very, so, I was very tempted to skip that man, and yeah. I have to say I'm halfway through the movie and I have no incentive to go back and watch the next half. <laughs> Do you know, it's like, it's one of the ones that I suppose if you're watching it in the way you are, where you're consuming them like you're consuming this big book, Mm. right? And if that was the case, wait till you hear this wrestling parallel now I have for you. If you're watching it like that and you're basically consuming it like one big book, essentially the Ant-Man movies are like the fuzzy chapters of Jericho's books. (laughs) You're not selling me on going back and watching the last hour of this uh, movie. No, but, but in isolation... So, like, because I've heard Jericho do interviews where he talks about some of his stuff with Fozzie and some of the rock stars and stuff like that. So, in isolation, some of those interviews are really fun because he has stories. I remember him on the Nerdist podcast years ago talking about how Slash is, like, really into dinosaurs uh, and stuff like that. So, like, that stuff is cool in isolation, but maybe as part, like, of a big tonal block mm. where you're going through this Infinity Saga, it's probably not as good. I remember enjoying my time in the cinema with Ant-Man. Um, quite a lot as just this kind of uh, heist caper that feels completely separate from everything in the bigger universe that's going on it felt like a kind of okay we stop and take our breath in and just enjoy this movie yeah Um, maybe maybe that's my problem i'm not sure where it all fits in now i'm sure it does all kind of come together in the end and yeah he plays his role or whatever but yeah it just kind of it's that kind of breaking of yeah, breaking the sequence, I suppose, is the way yeah. you'd say it. The, the only, I think the only movie, and I think you've already passed it in the timeline, if I'm not mistaken, the only movie, the only two, three movies that I really struggle with and, and don't care for in that whole MCU thing are Iron Man 2 and 3. Um, I think most people are with me on Iron Man 2 being a bit of a mess, like they're, it's trying to do 100 things at once. 
Um, Iron Man 3 is kind of my I'm a bit out there on an island thing because there are the people who don't like it like me but then there are people who absolutely love it and think I'm crazy Mm. Uh, and then I think the one that everyone says objectively is probably the worst of the whole bunch is Thor 2 The Dark World yeah okay I'm gonna agree on the two on Dark World and Iron Man 2 they yeah they're probably yeah the the messiest I think is the way of saying like like Tor 2 I was into it yeah but that's not to say I enjoyed it I was into the characters in it like mm. I, I loved uh, Thor and Loki bickering at each other and, and stuff like that was entertaining but like then when I was walking home and thinking like what was that movie actually about yeah I'm not sure what actually changed in the movie <laughs> apart from his mother yeah. dying yeah apart from the fact that it's important for things moving on that they introduced the ether um literally it served the whole movie serves no other purpose um i have but, to say i have found it fascinating like I'm, I'm awful with actor names yeah so i'm seeing people in the movies and i'm like going straight to like wikipedia and looking up like the whole cast and like mm. or imdb and i'm like oh yeah that's such and such <laughs> and i'm just i'm fascinated to see like all the bit power players and people that i had yeah. no idea were in the mcu it, it's kind of like the, the Harry Potter movies were like that for British actors, where it's just like, everybody turns up eventually. <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I never watched the Potter movies. Oh, you see, now, because you would have been a couple of years older yeah. than me, so you might have missed Pottermania. I did, I missed that. To- like, I think I was like 15 when the first one came out yeah. or something. But like, I would have read like the first one when I was around the same age that Harry was in the first book, so like I grew up with those books. But uh what this is just interesting to me now before we move on to bash at the beach what would you say like out of the whole span that you've been watching now so you've gone from like 2008 to about you're at about 2014 2015 now with the Mm. movies uh by the sounds of it uh what's your favorite so far would you say favorite i still think my favorite is guardians one right yeah and i have to say winter soldier is phenomenal You're mad after my own heart. I, I I think like for rewatchability, Guardians just because it makes me laugh so yeah. much. Yeah. But yeah, Winter Soldier as a as a total movie, my God, mm. I was not expecting. Like, obviously, I've heard the hype for years, and people say, "Oh, I love this movie," and yeah. whatever. But my God, I was not prepared yeah. for the the twists and the fucking yeah. the battles and Jesus Christ, it was all there. Winter Soldier is the one everyone says that like that would be a good movie even if you took out all the superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Like everyone says it's just a good conspiracy thriller kind of movie. Yeah. Um yeah, I love Winter Soldier. Like from the moment where you're watching it at the start and there's that fight scene on the boat and about halfway through you're like, is that George St. Pierre? <laughs> <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as like an obscure Spider-Man villain, Batrock. Like, uh, it's just this amazing. And yeah, the that that whole movie is, is class. And do you know um, what? That's see, see the way you, right you're bringing up uh, GSP as the obscure Spider-Man villain. I have no earthly idea of who who was who because I wasn't a comic book kid. Yeah, yeah. So I I'd love to do like a deep dive on just who exactly. Is everybody once I once I'm true, all oh, the movies. Yeah. There's some there's some zany backstories with some of these guys, and it's interesting to see the twist that the MCU puts on some of the weirder comic book characters. Um, 
and like you get rewarded then because like even something like if you freeze frame on like the scenes in uh, the collector's place in, mm-hmm. in Guardians, like all the Easter eggs to comic book stuff that's going on in there. Like it's uh, just I can a, I can just... imagine it's like just fucking and I don't use this word as a as a put down near heaven. Just, just you know, yeah. stuff that like you might only catch, but like the person next to you won't, and you're just giddy about it. Yeah, the the fan service that they do is yeah. is incredible. Um, I gotta say that yeah, I would agree with you. The Guardians is right up there for me. And do you know what? Like a movie that um that I think is the is maybe the only one that I think gets better for me every time I watch it is Guardians Two. Do you know? Um, I've only rewatched it a couple of times. Yeah, and every time I've rewatched it, I'm like. It's actually really fucking good. Like it is. Yeah, I think it has a, a like. It's a mo- It like it, it's 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 entertaining like Guardians one, but it has mm-hmm. a lot more to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. I, yeah, I really like that movie. Um. And do, and do you know what? I just have to touch on it because it kind of blew me away. Hugo Weaving as Red Skull. Yeah. My God! Like I know it's like character fucking casting, considering he was Agent Smith in uh, the Matrix. Matrix. Yeah. But there couldn't have been anyone else, could there? No, he was perfect for it. Oh, uh, as soon as like, as soon as I saw him in um, the first Avengers, yeah, we need to we need a skinny man to chew the scenery. No better man. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think you're about you're really about to hit your stride. Uh, the next like the the kind of wind up stretch between where you are now mm-hmm. and Infinity War. There's some really really like there's already been some really really good stuff, but like um. I'm just thinking, like, if you haven't seen Black Panther before, you're gonna have a great time. Oh yeah, I think you're, I think you're really gonna enjoy Civil War. I think Doctor Strange will probably be, like, that'll be an interesting one for you. That might be a bit marmitey. Yeah, and he gets a mention in, I think it's Ultron. He gets a mention. Yeah, there's a rooftop scene where he mentions um, Doc- Stephen Strange. Stephen Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, and I have to say, the way they've introduced characters hasn't been clunky or forced. They've mm. all just kind of made their way in and been very natural yeah so I'm, like re- I'm, re- I'm really enjoying like i'm glad i waited to watch them all but i'm yeah. kind of sad i missed out on the hype of them as well the only thing that's a bummer is that those disney uh that disney plus doesn't have the two spider-man movies on it which is which sucks <laughs> but are they are they're not part of so the two this is like we're so off base oh, no, look, we'll look, listen I'm enjoying this I don't care if anyone <laughs> so the, the Spider-Man is owned by Sony the mm. movie rights uh, but so the kind of the, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies that were came out when we were teenagers those were all Sony uh, then so were the Andrew Garfield 2 that came out a few years ago and then they loaned the property back to Marvel to make the Homecoming two movies and, with Tom Holland in yeah. it, uh, which are Homecoming and Far From Home. Mm-hmm. And I would say, uh, I like Far From Home, but I would say Homecoming is definitely worth a watch um, if you can get a hold of that. Um, so is is that part of the the story with the um, like you know the, the story I'm on? Uh, the timeline. I don't think it's part of that timeline, is it? I'm not going to say anything either way. Okay, right, okay. But I'm I'm just going to say that Homecoming is worth a watch. Okay, so I'll know when I get to it is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um. But anyway, look, let's talk about the wrestling, which is this, this again, you, you always know on Days of Thunder when we've watched a bad show because we spend <laughs> 15 minutes talking about anything else. All filler, no killer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
but uh, you can you can uh, you can subscribe to our non-existent Patreon to get our MCU podcast. <laughs> Listen, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you will. I know you will. Uh, sooner than I watch this show again, that's for sure. Before we get into Bash at the Beach '94, though, uh, Lee, uh, what have you got in the holster this evening? Okay, so last week I said I had taken hold of my last beer from um, Craft Central. Yes, I was wrong. Hey. <laughs> not like me to be wrong, you know. No. So <laughs> not according to polls on the internet anyway. Oh no. I mean never wrong. So this week I have an Irish an Irish beer with me. It is a brew from the brew brewery. That's oh, yes. BR I know them well. You fodder. Mm-hmm. I'm not an Irish speaker, so if I butcher that would be why. <laughs> you got it, you got it. Brew is correct. So this is a tutti fruity tropical pale ale. Oh yes, I, I, don't know I think I, you, I think you've had this one. I don't know if you've had it on the show though. Yeah, I've I've had it. I've definitely had it. Um, so this is not where I would normally go for, but I saw it on the Craft Central website, and I said I'm gonna try this one because I, I'm pretty sure you had talked about this one. That's why it was in my mind. Mm. So just give me a sec. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's very fruity. Very very yeah. fruity. Yeah, that's that's not what I'd normally go for, but it's actually quite refreshing. Yeah, as a once in a while kind of thing, you yeah. wouldn't get a case of it sort of thing. Yeah, I wouldn't sit down and drink like four or five, but I'd I'd gladly have one or two. Yeah. Um, I have got uh from a company I've tried. I don't know if I've tried them on the show. But I've tried them because they're the the stocked beer of one of my favorite places to eat in Dublin, uh, Chimac, the the Korean fried chicken place. Uh, it's from the Rascals Brewing Company, who are also also an Irish company, mm-hmm. based out of Inchicore in Dublin. Um, and it's their Wunderbar IPA. It's a punchy, fruity IPA. It's described as. So I think we we've both gone down the the fruity route. You know, it's summerly. It is, it is. It's the kind of drink you want for a summer. I'm not much of a cider drinker anymore, so I'll go for my fruity IPAs. I can never abide cider. I don't know. It it always reminds me of knacker drinking, or, you know, drinking outdoors, shall we say, for people who wouldn't understand that term. (laughs) Yeah. Drinking in a field. (laughs) Yeah, before you're necessarily able to drink. uh, Yes. There tends to be uh, a rite of passage where you go out and get absolutely pissed in the pitch black in a forest or a field or something like that. Drink, drinking three cans of cider. Mm. Um, this is nice. I would say <clears throat> this might be more your speed than the fruitiness of the Fruitropolis because the okay. fruit is entirely more subtle. Um, again, I don't... It's kind of... It's a little bit above middle of the road, I will say, for me, uh, for where my tastes are at the moment because you now I'm I'm all in my, my sour at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, it, it's quite hoppy as well, I will say. Okay. Um, I, I actually, I didn't pick up anything from Rascals when well, I was on the site that time, but it's definitely mm-hmm. something I'm going to look at um, when I do order again. Yeah, they have a couple. There's a lager they have that's very nice, and they also have a uh, one called Born Sippy, which is not only a great title yeah. uh, if you grew up in the 90s, but also uh, the can design on it is uh, immense. Uh, just just look it up it's one of those like it, it's like an optical uh, trick where it looks it looks kind of blurry <laughs> it's it's very hard to describe but uh, just yeah just uh, check that out and we, and we all know you love a good can god damn god damn right I do um, 
Right, so, Bash at the Beach 1994 is the show we're talking about tonight. This is from July 17th, 1994, and it's in Orlando, Florida. Um, I really like the opening package here, Lee. And I also like the kind of job that is done very early on. Like, even, we'll talk about how it materialises in between the ropes uh, later on, bell to bell. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel that they definitely did a good job of, if you're tuning in for Bash at the Beach, making you feel like you're sitting down for a once-in-a-lifetime historic event, that being Hogan versus Flair. Uh, something that's repeatedly hit on uh, across the night as the match you never thought you'd see. Oh yeah, they, like they bill it as the match of the century. They mentioned that a couple of times, and they really do do a great job. Like considering where WCW were at this time, yeah, like you say, they they would have had new eyes on them for the first time, based on just this match. Yeah, and they really do a good job putting over everything, like building up to the main event and really reinforcing the hugeness of the matchup itself. And mm. yeah, I, I thought like if you were tuning in for the first time for this, I thought that they, they kind of WCW itself came off well. Yeah, I, th- I think it did. It came off as like it didn't come off as small time because no. it's a lo- it looked like they shot the arena really mm-hmm. well. It looked absolutely jam packed. It looked like professional TV broadcast. What it looked, it looked less like, oh, we've discovered what had been a minor league promotion that's now big league because Hogan's here. It looked more like you discovered the best kept secret kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, holy shit. For a modern comparison, imagine Roman Reigns turned up in ROH. Yeah. But like, it was still ROH in the Manhattan Center. Yeah. It would look good, but it's still, you'd be going, this is a bit small, isn't it? Yeah, you know it's not quite the same as uh, the arenas Hogan had been packing mm-hmm. out for WWF. But all the same, you're just like, oh, well, this is like he's gone to another decent size organization. Yeah. You know, it's not just a rinky-dink cowboy mm-hmm. operation he's showing up at. Um, our broadcast team for tonight is uh, Tony Schiavone, uh, Bobby the Brain, and uh, on interviews for the night, Mean Gene. Uh, Brain starts off the night by declaring he's not very happy but he will be happy at the end of the night when Ric Flair's hand is raised in victory and the one thing I rubbed my hands together at Lee is that we're going to get a whole night and we did of uh, Brain burying Hogan oh god we we put over Brain from 1998 but my god compared to 1994 Brain he is just he is at his peak burying Hulk Hogan on this show there is there are a few lines I have throughout the night, but honestly, it's kind of a thing where if I was to recommend you to watch the show for one reason, it's Bobby mm-hmm. because there are just too many zingers. Not even like obviously the the brunt of his ire is directed towards uh, Mister H Hogan, but uh, he is uh, he is just burying people left, right, center of the show, and it's absolutely fantastic. And we'll we'll hit on some of them um, as we go through things. Uh, we have uh, singing the national anthem because it's Bash of the Beach. We have Darren Norwood uh, in a, a completely unacceptable shirt and a completely <laughs> unacceptable spelling of the name Darren. Uh, he spelled it with an O, well. didn't he? He spelled it D A R O N. Uh, I was not having that. Um, but yeah, this shirt, like if you picture in your head, country musician America shirt, that's the shirt You've he was got wearing. It. <laughs> Yeah, you've got it. You've pictured it exactly. I made I made, I made the uh, compare. Is here. He looked like Faith era George Michael. 
Yeah, yeah. But the short would have been like outside era George Michael. Hmm. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, I, another thing I love about the presentation, we, we're gonna get into the actual match uh, matches now, um, shortly. But one of the things I really liked about the presentation, I really kind of in that kind of retro mindset, I really love this Bash of the Beach logo. Oh yeah, it's really good. It's like it, it's like that early kind of nineties thing. But I really liked it. Yeah, I thought like if somebody came back with that now, I'd enjoy something like that. Oh, dude, this is the kind of T-shirt that you could hock to wrestling fans. Like if you did a, a kind of like retro series. Co- Remember the Macho Man T-shirt was the biggest thing. Yes, yes, that exact thing. Yeah. Like if you do a nicely brightly colored T-shirt with the Bash at the Beach 94 logo and kind of you do that artificial fading on mm-hmm. it like you're going to clean up and I know clean I know Alan Farrell who listened to this he loves the uh, early Royal Rumble logo yeah and I had to say it's like that. it's that kind of same kind of blocky type stuff and just ah, uh, they they definitely should do like a, a series of t-shirts like that yeah like but uh, you, you could yeah. do Bash at the Beach Great American Bash um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else you could do like a a uh, I'd take a Fall Brawl War Games t-shirt. Yeah, Halloween Havoc. Like, imagine, like, yeah. just doing a series of t-shirts. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd be straight in. I'd, I'd be customer number one on that. <laughs> we uh, we start off things uh, on the program with a flashback to Sting versus Flair from WCW Saturday Night. And it, it's great after all these long weeks covering uh, Thunder and them mentioning in decreasing importance WCW Saturday Night and flashing back to a time where things actually happened on Saturday Night and there was hot crowds and hot matches um, so this match between Sting and Flair was happening and uh, not really thoroughly explained at first but in the foreground you could see the back of Hogan's head watching on creepily uh, which I wasn't a big <laughs> fan of a, a quote unquote fan runs in to break up the Scorpion Deathlock um, Hogan interrupts with uh, an incredibly delayed atomic drop, tries to toss this fan, and the wig comes off to reveal that it's Sherry. And I was immediately delighted because I think we've I think we've registered on this program before how much the two of us love Sherry oh, yeah. and how great she was as a presence and as a manager. Um, and for a moment after her wig is torn off, she considers squaring up to Hogan, which I loved that little moment where she's just standing her ground with him. Oh, she always does. If, yeah. if there's one thing Sherry did brilliantly, it was like take it to Hogan, and there was when she cowers from Hogan. Like, I, yeah. I know 2020, man on woman violence and intergender, it, it's all very. People have their own opinions. Yeah. But I have to say, Sherry stooging for Hulk Hogan is one of the best things about early 90s wrestling for me. Yeah. And I think they did it very well mm-hmm. in this segment because one, there's no like he doesn't just throw a haymaker at her no. or anything like that. The one spot is a delayed atomic drop. Like it's not the, the quote unquote uncomfortable kind mm-hmm. of uh, intergender violence. It's actually well thought out, I think. Um, it's just enough for the heel to get her comeuppance, yeah. but not enough for you to go, oh, they've they've pushed the envelope a bit too far here. You give her the moment where she squares up to Hogan, which is a cool moment, and it shows that like Sherry doesn't take no shit. Mm-hmm. But then he hulks up, and she decides wisely to bail. Um, Flair attacks Sting. He Sting has suffered a scratch cornea. I will not be here tonight. Uh, Mr. T and Jimmy Hart come out for the save. As we go back to Brain and Tony explaining what had happened, I really enjoyed Brain. Maybe we should keep an eye out for Sting. <laughs> <laughs> the first of, like you said, many little zingers that he just throws in. 
yeah. when he can. Um, one of the things they keep putting over on the program tonight is how there are so many dignitaries. I don't know if I've heard the word dignitaries as much as I heard it on this program. Uh, and they're, they're all in attendance for this once-in-a-lifetime match. And uh, one of the people mentioned very early on as being in attendance is one Shaquille O'Neal. And I thought this was funny just because, like, WCW's long association with basketball, we've literally just been talking about Rodman and Carl Malone on the show. We're going all the way back now, and here's Shaq, surprised, because, like, one, I'm like, oh, uh, we're both watching The Last Dance at the moment on Netflix. So, like, it's just wall-to-wall Wall-to-wall basketball in our lives at the moment. (laughs) And and you know what? I'm happy with it, because, like, 90s basketball was fucking I, I I was about to say the very same thing. 90s era NBA is just the most fascinating thing in the world to me. Yeah, I watch a hundred documentaries. Like, yeah. I recently uh, acquired, shall we say, a uh, hundred gigs of ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries that oh. I'm slowly working my way through. Uh, and it is, oh my God. I just, I, I think I just love a sports documentary, even mm-hmm. if it's a sport I don't particularly follow. Like, a sport lends itself so well to those kind of stories. But, um, I was also kind of surprised because I was like, wow, like Shaq has been around that long. I think they mentioned later on, Buffer mentions during his introduction, he was a draft pick in 1992. I think it was 93, wasn't it? He was the number one draft. Oh, was it 93? 93. So like, honestly, like the fact that he's been around that long is mind blowing, you know, and only retired relatively recently for a guy who'd been around that long. Like Um, to put it in perspective for us as Manchester United fans, Shaq was in college when Eric Cantona signed for Manchester United. Yeah. And you think about how long ago that was. And then you retire. He Shaq retires a long, long, long time <laughs> yeah. after Cantona does. <laughs> also a very richer man than Eric Cantona was. Indeed. Uh, richer than most men, you would say. Um, and what, what, yeah, what, I, what did you think of Sting not being on the show? Um... Look, I think that one thing I will say, there's a couple of matches. Everything on this show got time for better or worse. Mm -hmm. It felt like a real antidote to the era of Thunder and WCW were watching in the normal timeline. In as much as it felt like a completely different pace. And even though, as we'll talk about, not all of these matches were enjoyable, Mm -hmm. because there were so few of them and they all got time... They all felt important in their own way or that they were at least supposed to be important. So I think if you maybe add another star, the caliber of Sting, does it maybe detract a little from how special the main event is? Because he's certainly like up there in terms of the big baby faces in the company. Um, and there's definitely a delineation uh, in the kind of level of star power that the other matches on the card have relative to the two guys in the main event. That maybe if there was a Sting versus X semi-main event, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of a thing. Um, I have a theory on it. Now, first of all, I want to say on the point you made about it's it's a contrast between like the 98 era we're watching where there's like 11 matches on a pay-per-view compared to like six here. Basically in the same amount of time. Two and two quarter hours. Mm. And like you said, everything better or worse does get time. And I think I'd rather have that. Like, if I'm not going to enjoy a match, if it's 20 minutes long, look, at least it feels like it's an important match. They thought enough yeah. of this match, this feud, to give it this amount of time on pay-per-view. 
Yeah. I think there is benefits to both mm-hmm. ways because the other you could very kind of selfishly look at the ninety eight model and go well at least if something sucks it doesn't last that so long. I would say it's welcome back to the beach yeah. ninety eight main event. <laughs> um, but the other thing is on Sting, I think they were clever keeping him off the show mm. because if he's on the show, what's he going to do? So either yeah. you have to have him win a title, mm-hmm. which he then has to hold and kind of feel lesser than the world title. Yeah. Or he has to lose, and this is you'd, you'd imagine they would have thought this this was going to be their biggest show of all time. So yeah. do they put their number two baby face in a kind of losing position where yeah. he's less than the main event? And you also don't want to give him a meaningless non-title mm-hmm. win. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to you don't want to put him in a match because we've got to put Sting in a match. But they they basically just showed him on the start of the show, entering with Flair, Hogan's there. I think they did as good as they could with Sting on the show. Yeah, I mean, that segment has... Uh, what it's done is, uh, like, very early on in the show, you know Hogan and Flair are the two greatest of all time. They've basically told you that. And then they've shown you a clip about how Sting took this guy to the limit and he had to basically use shenanigans and then attack him after the disqualification um, to try and get him off the show. Um, so it, it's it's protected Sting in a way mm-hmm. um, that I, I I think I appreciate. I don't know if we're giving them too much credit here. Um, oh look, no, knowing where they go and how Hogan treats Sting for the next two years, yeah. they absolutely didn't matter in the end. But yeah, I'm going by what we're watching at the time. You have to give them credit and say right, they did the right thing. Yeah, uh, I love here before we go to the first match how uh, they're talking about Shaquille O'Neal. And Brain goes, hey, I saw that Shaq guy with his shoes off backstage. That guy's 5'11". <laughs> Which I think means that he's uh, he's alleging that Shaq is like about a foot and a half worth of shoe. Yeah. Uh, which I, I appreciate that idea. Our opening contest uh, for Bash of the Beach 94 is Johnny B. Bad versus Lord Stephen Regal with Sir William for the television title. And... I'm just going to look I, I the elephant in the room right here Lee I've got to say it right off Johnny B. Bad's tan <laughs> my look there's a story there was a story long ago that um, Brian Alvarez told on a Brian and Vinny show years and years ago he talked about how um, wrestlers have to get more tanned than people in real life because under the lights on a television wrestling show it, it kind of washes out your skin tone. Okay. Um. So he was saying that, like, people who look normal, like a normal level of tan in real life, will look a bit pale on television. And he goes, like, if you look dark under those lights, you would probably pass for a different race <laughs> in real life. He said that he once met, I think it was Kurt Angle, he was in the same room as, and Kurt Angle looked like he was made out of milk chocolate. I'll always remember that line Jesus. because her angle did used to have like a just a, a, he was like a dark shade well tan yes yeah shall we say at one point this was tan on an ungodly level Lee um, this was tan to the point of possibly being racially insensitive that's the thing that always comes up with Johnny B. Bad yeah because he was to take off on Little Richard yeah it's very borderline uh huh whether it was whether it was blackface or whether it was tan. 
Mm-hmm. That was immediately my thought. And it's funny because I went to look it up and see if there'd ever been any controversy over it. And the first thing I found was uh, Mark Merrow quote tweeting somebody going, Motherfucker, I always thought Johnny B. Bad was black. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, no, I was just a tan young kid back in those days. Like, and yeah, it was like, it was, it was so, like, it was so bad. It was, I put it up on the Days of Thunder Instagram today as I was watching it. And it's like, it's that episode of Friends where Ross gets to spray tan too much yeah. on his front. Like, that's what it is. And I just couldn't unsee it. Yeah, see, I, I knew the whole thing with Johnny B. Bad and, you know, the Richard stuff. So yeah, it kind of I didn't take notice as much, but when you said it to me, I knew instantly what you meant. Yeah, and yeah, it it's it's very borderline. Yeah, and this is like because I I've heard things is so like I haven't watched a huge amount of Johnny B. Bad era Mark Merrow. I know people say that like this guy kind of had something, mm-hmm. you know, before he was Mark Merrow. So I was excited to sit down and watch actually like a proper match match with him. Um, I haven't seen too many in my time. Um, and I will say before we get into the match that he did show like he could like he definitely showed a lot more than he did in WWF years later um, and I can definitely like I'm not entirely sold by it but would you say there there was something there around this time yeah he had something to him yeah. but he was never rising above where he is on this card would you say it's kind of like um a you know, obviously he got pushed to the moon way higher mm-hmm. than, than Johnny B. Bad ever did. But a kind of Luger thing? Where, like, there, there was... Luger... You couldn't ever say Luger was good. But there was, like, some kind of X factor there. That, See, like, I, I think Luger blows him away with that, like you say, that, that effect, if factor that Luger had. Yeah. Luger looked and felt like a star. He presented himself as a star. I think there was a certain addition element of cringe that Johnny Buad had yes. that Lex didn't. I think Johnny Bay Bad is two thousand and six era Shawn Michaels without the gravitas. Mm. Yeah, he has the kind of indulgent streak that, that period of Sean had. <laughs> he also had the glitter guns as well, actually, that Sean had for the yeah. uh, WrestleMania nineteen match. Um, yeah, which. <laughs> Well, at least they um, worked on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so, I, I think, yeah, he, he had something and he, he's okay in ring. But yeah. I would never have put him any higher than maybe second match on the show. Yeah, he um, he definitely gets the crowd going. And he's in here with Lord Stephen Regal, who comes out with a Regal, sca- a Regal scale that measures in at about a 10 on the Regal scale. <laughs> um. I immediately start wrestling this match and something that like from going to so many independent wrestling shows now uh, where you see ring crew like busting their asses I, I got so fucked off with no one cleaning up the confetti <laughs> yeah the confetti is around ringside for the rest of the show yeah and it's like it's proper just all over the ring mm-hmm. during this they didn't even sweep it out of the ring you know like the bare minimum you'd see on an indie show is people the referee sweeping like, out the ring in between matches yeah he'll sweep it out of the ring and then like they'll kind of it'll go down inside the apron and then after the next match they'll all clean it up and like that's fine um but yeah, just like the two, these two guys trying to have like a serious opening match and the two of them are just like, every time they go down to the mat, they come up and the two of them are covered in glitter. Like, You're almost like it, a it, Vegas showgirl era regal. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, 
I will say, like, you know, I was kind of putting over that there was something there with with, with Johnny B. Bad, but um, it's kind of a lot of this match is paint by numbers mm-hmm. opening match. Now, I, I know kind of like you think about Regal and he's probably a guy who's smart enough to realize, well, look, our job here in the opener isn't to blow people away and have the match of the night. Like our job here is to have a very simple good guy, bad guy opening mm-hmm. match. And I think it, it achieves that goal. Um, but it, it's not blowing me away here early. No, Regal as TV champ had a very formulaic run. It was he sells, he sells, he sells, and he escapes with the belt. That that was Regal's championship run, really. He didn't beat people definitively, really. Um, like all the like Saturday nights, and I remember Worldwide in particular, the shows we used to get over here. Like y- yeah. you'd always see Regal squeak out with his title. Yeah, and that that's what the story of his room was, and like see, like even here, even here, the, the finish is, I think, his feet on ropes, isn't it? So the finish of the match. Let me just skip down here. So the the finish of the match. Oh no, it's not. It's a, a, a reversal on the sunset flip. Yeah, so bad attempts the the sunset flip, and uh, Regal blocks it by Sir William gets up mm-hmm. on the apron and reaches the brolly across. He holds on to the brolly that's so right. that he can he can sit down on him. Uh, and attempt the pin and then uh, kind of bad hoists him over and finishes the sunset bomb but uh, kind of like in a weird slow and awkward fashion mm-hmm. Regal kind of reverses it and, and gets away with it um, but yeah no, like it, it like you said very paint by numbers kind of opener it wasn't going to get the crowd going crazy um, yeah. what did you think of uh, Sir William at ringside I didn't think a whole lot like um <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't help but think like he's like uh, Mr. Ben, the cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Love that reference. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, oh, what what has he going to put on and what adventure is he going to go on this week? What um, outfit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, one, I was saying it's very paint by numbers, but one thing I really loved here when it was happening um Regal was throwing some tasty forearms throughout mm-hmm. this that I think like look better than uh, there. I think there's there's one person on the show whose strikes I put over more than this, but like his forearms look really good. Uh, one thing I will say where I started being a bit hesitant in my praise of Johnny B. Bad was like some of his bumps for like forearm strikes and things like that, where he kind of does a stumble and then yeah. takes the bump. Like it's just marginally too much of the stumbling awkwardness mm-hmm. for my liking. Um. I, I like how the commentary mentions during the match that Chris Lemon from Thunder in Paradise is here. So there's a link to Days of Thunder, sort. <laughs> I knew you'd bring that up. I'm assuming that was the guy in the front row in the uh, tank top. Yeah, I think so. Um, Bad gets enraged with the, the finish we just discussed and he takes out Sir William and then stamps on the hat uh, for a big cheer. And I love how uh, Regal is bailing out and he looks back and he sees Sir William getting just brutally assaulted by Johnny B. Bad. He doesn't give a shit. Nah, sure, why would he? Yeah, exactly. And do you know what the best part is? He has a butler and he's a sir. Yeah. That's it, yeah. He's he's in the House of Lords, but a knight yes. of the realm is his uh, is his, his butler. butler. Yeah. yeah, he's just he's just standing around butling. You know how it goes. <laughs> um, so then it cuts to the commentators after this match, and Brain is talking about how he has to go check something out concerning the card later tonight. And as they're talking, Lee, you could have said, you could have, right, if you were sitting beside me and you paused the show, and you said to me, who shows up right this second behind them? It would have taken me 100 guesses. 
the two men are talking to each other about something that's going on later in tonight, and all of a sudden, in the background, right behind, like right over their heads, about like three or four feet behind them, the looming head of Antonio Inoki. It's <laughs> <laughs> like. I was kind of like when I when I watch these shows downstairs I'm kind of like lying on the couch and you know typing away on my laptop trying to keep up with what's going on and I fully sat up and was like what <laughs> You weren't prepared for that one Oh I was in bits and then you get to Mean Gene in the ring who's here to introduce Japan's premier superstar Antonio Inoki and they're essentially here to present him with a sham plaque um <laughs> It's not Bill after approved, so it doesn't count. Yeah, it's like Antonio. <laughs> but Inoki, what's it for? Like it's yeah. like a lifetime achievement or something. Rec- is it recognition for being such a great uh, superstar yeah. or whatever it was they said, <laughs> and saying that he's like Japan's equivalent to a senator. He just recently got elected and things like that. And like it was just a moment of pause and appreciation for what a carny that man was. <laughs> That man got himself into the WWF Hall of Fame. Tremendous. He got himself a fight with Muhammad Ali. He like he got a sham plaque from WCW. He got into the WWF Hall of Fame. There's never been a man like Anoki. That's the kind of Anokiism I can get on board with. Oh, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, the and Western Anoki. <laughs> imagine Jeff Jarrett and Antonio Anoki in a room together. Oh my God. Trying to do business. The star power. <laughs> so they they present him with a sham plaque and Mean Gene tries to encourage the crowd to give a standing ovation and people aren't really arsed I don't give a fuck a few of them do out of kind of guilt or awkwardness they stand up and start cheering and then in all kind of like I don't know how people don't talk about this more Stephen Regal comes out to confront Antonio Inoki did you not notice no, I've never oh, seen this before. Oh man, I thought you were aware of this. No, I have never seen this before. Okay. Regal, Regal comes out to confront Anoki. I get I'm getting so excited at this point. He said he can't believe Anoki is getting a result and he isn't. Like he might have been elected a senator, but he's in the House of Lords. <laughs> and he said, like, he calls himself Japan's premier superstar. Well, I'm just back from Tokyo and I beat every single one of Japan's top stars. And this guy was nowhere to be found. <laughs> He's lucky he retired. And then in maybe like the biggest kind of I'm a megastar flex of all time, even though the crowd weren't really giving a fuck about Anoki, as soon as Anoki starts circling the ring and oh, pops yeah. the jacket off, people go crazy for it. Once the jacket comes off, people think, oh, that's it, it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, I just wanted him to throw one slap at Regal, but uh, Regal bails and gets out of the place. And I, I tell you what, for a segment that started with me being just massively confused as to why it was happening, I really this might have been one of my highlights of the show. So you've obviously never seen their match matches. No, no. Watched them. Right. They beat the living fuck out of each other. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Like I, Regal legitimately hurts an Oki in the first match. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. Are you saying excellent because you hurt an Oki or just excellent in general? Just it sounds like I, I'm just, I'm all for just lads slapping the piss out of each other. So yeah, I'm going to. And gonna I, I, I love as he's walking, as Regal walks away, he's just, just mumbles under his breath loud enough. I'm sick of these so-called bloody legends. Yeah. I'm like, so like, obviously, uh, 
you know this era of regal i'm not terribly familiar with like this era of wcw apart from like cherry picking war games and things like that and those flare matches we talked about with jamesy and things like that the the absolute epics over the years like i have a lot of knowledge gaps around this time and if you think i have knowledge gaps around that time with wcw i have a complete absence of knowledge when it comes to japan Mm -hmm. uh you know uh it's only in relatively recent years where i have started consuming new japan and now i'm like uh trying to watch some more classic all japan stuff as well i've read a lot about some of this mm-hmm. stuff but like in terms of seeing it it's it uh, some of it is relatively recent so yeah the surprise of anoki squared up with regal here was absolutely i was i was losing my mind i loved it um now that uh, Bobby is gone to sort out whatever he's sorting out backstage, uh, we have uh, Jesse the Body Ventura on in body uh, only because his mind is not here. Oh, it is not. This man is here to collect a paycheck, and you know the tone is set for the evening straight away. Where Tony turns to Jesse and goes, "Jesse, we're on camera now." And he goes, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." Literally, just goes, "Oh," and turns yeah. to the camera and says nothing. Now, he's not on form tonight, but how do you view, like, in general, uh, on nights that aren't tonight, where do you rank uh, the body uh, in terms of commentary over your your, your life <sighs> of consuming wrestling? I do love Jesse. I do. He, he was a great colour commentator. He has one of the most iconic voices, mm-hmm. really, in, in, in wrestling. Um, but he's not Bobby Heenan. No, he's not. Like, it, you're talking about replacing a legend, like, a, one of the greatest of all time for a couple yeah. of matches. Even if he was on his game, it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been quite the same. Um, but, uh, but obviously, at this point, he is fully checked out on WCW because of Hogan. Yeah. Whereas the brain feeds into it and, like, builds his character around hating Hogan. Uh-huh. Jesse legitimately hated Hogan. Yeah, he's just he's just done. Yeah. And he's just he's just here to get his money and go home and not think about Hogan anymore. Like, um, and I think it's in Bischoff's book. He talks about like, obviously it's Bischoff, so you take it with a fucking mountain a mountain of salt. Of salt. So, <laughs> um, like, he talks about Jesse being drunk backstage at Worldwide Happens and just totally checked out on the product around this time. Yeah, it's funny he'd be a trendsetter in that way because like about eight years, <laughs> right, six years after this, pretty much everybody would be like that. Um, next up, we have Vader with Harley Race versus the Guardian Angel. <clears throat> this match. Yes. I had... You want to talk about... I was just talking about I love when guys slap the shit out of yeah. each other. This is what uh, our good friend JP from the uh, the Gravel Spotlight podcast would call a beefy fucker match. Yeah. Uh, this was the Guardian Angel, for those of you who don't know, is uh, Boss Man, Big Bo Rogers, whatever you want to call him. Uh, we're just going to uh, call him Boss Man. Yeah, doing doing his Hell's Angel gimmick basically. No, Guardian um, Guardian Angel. Yeah, yeah, legally distinct. Do you not know who the Guardian Angels were? I know vaguely of the Guardian Angels. Ah, oh, Dave. What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have looked this up. <laughs> Dude, what's the gimmick of our show? No research, but like I mean it's the Guardian Angels. I thought you would have I thought honestly I thought you would have been aware of this. No, go for it. So just so I'm not making a fucking fool of myself um i'm gonna make sure to google this just as we speak so you've you've heard of the guardian angels yeah it's like a crime prevention thing a crime prevention thing. yeah 
the Guardian Angels is a non-profit international volunteer organisation of unarmed crime prevention. The Guardian Angels organisation was founded in 1979 in New York. So it was basically, New York was a total shit show of a, of a city in the yeah. 80s. And basically these were citizens that basically all banded together, had the red berets, the, the red jackets, and yeah, just I banded re- together to clean up New York. It's like I've seen archive footage of the, the red beret thing, now that you mention mm-hmm. it. I just I just did not make the connection. I don't think I heard the name before. Yes, yeah, so what happened was after Bossman lost to Vader on, I want to say, I think it was Slambury. I think they mentioned it on this show. He lost to Vader at Slambury when he was named the boss. Right. And he was very much the big boss man. He had the, the uh, nightstick and the handcuffs. and Yeah. He was the big boss man and all but name. So then Nick Bockwinkle would strip him of the name, the boss, and take away his nightstick and handcuffs and said, you can't be the boss, you're not the boss. Hmm. So on an episode of, I think, Saturday Night, the Guardian Angels kind of presented him with a beret and made him one of their own, and that's why he is now the Guardian Angel. Can I just say, like, it's, such a, it's, it's, it's great. This is probably one of the upsides of switching back to this time where you're kind of, this is more your WCW territory. That like I I'm kind of I know what's coming on Thunder, whereas now you're able to explain to me <laughs> what's happening in '94. Like this stuff is wild to me. And like um, like don't get me wrong, I wasn't watching this stuff in real time. Yeah, it's that I read about all this stuff as it was happening. Ah. Um. But yeah. So like at the end of the day, like whatever gimmick he's coming out in, it's still it's the big boss man. Versus yeah, Vader. I, yeah. And I'm just I I am I was giddy. Um, oh, I, you you mentioned you've been watching a bit more All Japan. Have you seen Bossman in All Japan? I there's oh, there was some match that um, I can't remember if it was James he was talking about it or it was mentioned offhandedly in one of those Walking the King's Road videos. There was a Bossman All Japan match where I was like, I need to look at this. Bossman yeah. teams were I think it's Stan Hansen. Yes, against like uh, Mizawa and Kabashi. That's yeah. I think that was mentioned in one of Joseph Montecilio's videos, and I was like, "Oh!" And I think it's all. I think it's only like twelve or thirteen minutes long, but it's yeah. literally the full-on big boss man in all Japan. Good stuff, and um, it's well worth watching. I will say he's decidedly less cool in a t-shirt. Oh yeah, and we, like we we see a big bubba in ninety-eight. It's it's not the same. No, uh, it's. Uh, I love but I love like even though I'm like oh it's a bummer that he's just in a t-shirt uh, I will say he starts the match great where he just runs over and decks Harley Race and throws her <laughs> in the ring yeah Harley takes some fucking great bumps in this match yeah Harley Race who I think has always like looked conservatively about 75 years old <laughs> um, like I, I had a moment of shock where I was like oh my god <laughs> like he's just is he okay uh, so yeah, he just throw, throws a big haymaker at him, throws him out of the ring. Uh, Vader is enraged and uh, attacks uh, the Guardian Angel to start the match. Um, and in one of like the coolest kind of like, oh, the monster isn't fucking with me because I'm a monster as well. Uh, Bullock, he, he regains control of the match, tears Vader's mask off and slams him. And mm-hmm. I was out of my chair at that bit. Yeah, and like even just before that, like, if you want proof that these two guys are just going to beat the shit out of each other, Vader throws Bossman into the ropes and hits a fucking spin kick. Yeah. 
Vader did a spin kick. Now just think about that. <laughs> yeah, Vader. Like these two just fucking they threw everything at each other and it was yeah. fucking great. <laughs> oh yeah. They they show Hank Aaron, uh Tony Winoki and President Bill Shaw at ringside. Um Angel knocked outside, but when he gets back in the ring, this is great. So he gets knocked to the outside, and then like he he legs it back in, and when he gets in, he just starts slugging Vader. Mm-hmm. Like he is throwing you know, I was talking about um, worked punches there earlier on. These are some worked punches, my friend. Maybe not that worked. I know? doubt. I doubt they were very worked. I'd say they yeah. these two are fucking laying into each other. Is that I when when the the, the, the the camera is right on top of them in the corner? Yeah. And and Bossman is just literally one two one two fucking laying in the punches to Vader's body. Yeah. And I know it's one of those things where it's probably like so it, it got brought back up because of the the Joey Ryan tweet lately. Uh, people talking about how Vader was very rough and things like that and then like it took not only the jobber that was in the clip being being shared around but like a couple of other people coming out and just going yeah I worked Vader and like dude looks like he's beating the shit out of you but like it's not actually that bad like there's a little mm-hmm. stiff jab here or there but he really looks after you um, back in the day uh, and I'd say this is a thing where it's like you know I'd say there's a couple of really like a little bit too snug shots here but I imagine I know um these two guys would have been up for yeah and Austin always talks about like Bubba where he's just like he would always look after you but you know if you stiffed him there was a receipt coming that's Mm -hmm. for sure and Um, I I, I think it's with Bossman that um, Austin says that like sometimes his his punches would get a little bit fucking slack and he'd lay them in and you just have to give one back and he'd go okay yeah no we're good yeah fair enough (laughs) Um, so uh, we have yeah he starts he starts slugging Vader who uh like it kind of out of panic uh decides to hit like the kind of running kind of uh bear hug splashy mm-hmm. tackle thing um he vader attempts a ginormous sunset flip uh bubba sits down and squashes him uh i i think even though he's largely checked out for the night i think this is the one match where jesse like is at least attempting something um and i don't know but whether it, it's that it's the only match he's on commentary for isn't it <sighs> I thought, is, is he not on the one after this? He could I be. don't think so. I think Brain is back. Oh, no. So they have a segment after this. Yes. Um, they have a segment, but it's not. Uh, he's not yeah. on commentary. So this is the only part of the match where he's actually trying, and it's around the time of the sunset flip, mm-hmm. where he talks about, uh, he explains the mechanics of why the sunset flip didn't work. And I thought that was the one good moment from him tonight. Um, so we have uh, Vader wearing down Angel. He hits, an, he hits a Vader bomb, but Harley, obviously incensed from the, the the attack at the start of the match, wants more than just a Vader bomb. So he goes and hits the big boy moonsault. And how great does it look? Oh my god. It, like, he killed him, stone dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Race goes up to the top rope. Uh, Bubba is up, unacceptable, grabs Race, slams him. You want to talk about great bumps that he's taken in this match. Uh, clotheslines Vader out of the ring, chucks Harley Race out of the ring again, uppercut to Vader on the outside, gives, like, a a big boy suplex to get Vader back in the ring. This is a massive vertical suplex. Like, he Um, suplexes Vader from the apron in. Like, just think of the fucking power that takes. He fucking hoofs him up for this suplex. Uh, Shoulder tackle, and Vader knocks down the ref, kind of like... I think he briefly loses track of where the ref is relative to him when this tackle mm. hits because he has to look behind him to see if he's hit the ref. Has to make sure he swung the arm, yeah. 
Yeah, Bubba's slugging away at him, but Vader had uh, gotten a nightstick, which he drops when he's being punched. Uh, Guardian Angel has it now, and the ref turns around, having been instructed by Harley Race that he had the nightstick, uh, sees the nightstick in his hand and calls for the bell. Uh, Race had clearly convinced the ref that that he had been using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vader sneak attacks Guardian Angel and leaves with Race cackling his fucking head off. <laughs> and yeah, I love this match. I love this match. I thought the finish fucking sucked. But yeah. if they're going to keep doing these two against each other, obviously it'll lead to some kind of fucking weapon type match. Yeah, I'm I think assuming. there was a I think there was a couple of like if if there's a couple of fuck finishes on this show mm-hmm. and if, if the whole show had just had one, it would have been fine. I don't think any of them in isolation are were bad. In unnecessarily egregious, especially compared to some of the stuff we watched in 1998. Um, but I think the fact that there's maybe th- three on this show, I want to yeah. say, that are like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, well, uh, uh, I would go so far as saying every match up until the main event has a fuck finish. Just trying to look now. Yeah, no, you're dead right, yeah. Because there aren't that. That's the, yeah, I'm thinking to myself that, like, oh, yeah, only a couple of matches, but there's only a few matches on this show. So it yeah. is, yeah, it's all but the main event. Um, so yeah I, I you know apart from the finish uh, as you say I thought this was a really enjoyable match mm-hmm. I, I um, really enjoyed it yeah like like you said Vader gets a lot of stick online these days but if you can't enjoy Vader just in there with someone and just laying into each other yeah. I mean wrestling isn't for you and if you didn't know Lee that Jesse the Body Ventura had problems with Hulk Hogan he made it very clear when Tony playfully asks him who he's got for the main event and stone faced not having any of this bullshit not entertaining it for a second Jesse said Flair yeah he just goes <laughs> I made my decision Flair and that, yeah. that, that's it and yeah. he's gone oh, it's, it's so cold it's so cold and I wonder did Bischoff make a call on the fly to get Jesse out here yeah, I wonder. I like I I wonder the merits of having him there in the first place. You know what I mean? Like if he's just if this is what he's going to be like. But obviously, but, uh, obviously, this was at this beginning of Hogan coming in or whatever. So they could have said, right, maybe he's going to be a professional about it. G- give him and a maybe, chance. Maybe I the suppose. plan was for Brain to be with Sherry and Flair. Yeah, maybe. But maybe. considering you know Mr. T and Jimmy Hart were with Hogan, mm. but obviously, if Jesse's behaving like this, there's no way they could have him on commentary for the main Ooh. event. No, backstage to, to a very young looking Mike Tanay and Kevin Cruz who are interviewing people for the hotline the hotline this is already the second plug of the night Mean Gene <laughs> one of the very first things he said at the top of the program was plugging that fucking hotline is and fair play to him like I'd say that man made some amount of bank off that hotline over the years as we discussed before he got a cut of the, the hotline money so he's fucking laughing all the way to the bank um, I appreciate as the guys are talking about the hotline, Terry Funk wanders past, completely no sells them on his way to the ring. <laughs> sure, why would he? He doesn't need to concern himself with them fucking agents. Yeah, and then we get uh, the kind of the the build up to to the next tag match, uh, which will be Bunkhouse Book and Terry Funk versus Dustin Rhodes and Aaron Anderson. And... Oh, okay, so I have to ask: Did you know what this match was before you went into it? Uh, I was pretty sure I knew what was happening at the end of this match, but I wasn't sure if, you know, this definitely was it. Um, I I was kind of, I, I was like, you know, is this where he just immediately turns on Dustin or was there another match before that happens? But no, no, it's this match. Um, 
But one thing I did love here, you know, we talk about how much we love um, the running bit of Brain uh, just burying Hogan. But uh, second only to that is Terry Funk and the Rhodes family. Oh. <laughs> there's like, there's uh, if, like a, if you didn't know any better, you would say he hated fucking Dusty Rhodes. Oh my god, it's so funny! Like he he, there's a moment in this they're they're showing the build up to the match where there is a, a feud going on between uh, Funk and 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 Dustin and um, there's like <laughs> he briefly mentions Dusty Rhodes and just fits in that okay that that opportunity to call him an egg sucking dog and uh, then say like oh you know he I I can't beat the hell out of him so I'm gonna go beat the head beat the hell out of his son, um. There's a they show a beatdown segment on um on Dustin where Bunkhouse Buck uh, attempts a pile driver twice and fails. Couldn't both get him times. up. Yeah. Jesus, that was bad. Got him up but couldn't hold him and just left just let him go. Absolutely embarrassing. They show Dustin asking Aaron to be his partner and he accepts. Uh Jesse reckons if Aaron says he'll be your partner, he's gonna go back to back with you. Um then they show like an absolute fiasco of a dark match uh, featuring the Sassy Boys versus Molly McShane. And I'm very, very glad we didn't have to endure that because the little bit we did. Oof. Yeah, that looked um, fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesse says a t- <laughs> this is, they're talking about uh, partners that Jesse said uh, we, or Tony said, would you be my partner in tag match? And Jesse says, you should ask Lois to be your partner. She's better. <laughs> and I just love the idea that now for what? This was 1994. So for 26 years, Lois Shivani has been an off-screen character in professional wrestling. And she might not even know that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Actually, I never actually thought about that. Because, because like, she, she gets mentioned on Thunder as well by Bobby a couple of times. Yeah, and she gets mentioned all the fucking time on Dynamite now. Oh yeah, because she be- I think she became a bit on uh, his podcast with, what's his name, Conrad? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a bit, like, she's not on the show, but I think she's like a run on gag on it. <laughs> she's an off-camera personality. Yeah, basically. Uh, so then we got one guy's book and Terry Funk with uh, Colonel Robert Parker and Meng uh, versus Dustin Rhodes and Aaron Anderson. And you texted me about this to give me a heads up beforehand, Lee, but you want to talk about gear. Dustin's gear, he looked like a fucking cream egg. <laughs> Do you know what? I texted you about it and I never took any notes about it. And I'm now looking online and I can't find a picture of it. Oh, I'll be getting one. You fucking, you guy will be getting a picture of this gear because, oh my God, like you really, you really undersold how dramatically yeah. ridiculous that gear was going to be. It's really like, bad, it, isn't it, it? It made a lot of Goldust gear look low-key. <laughs> uh, I'm devastated I can't find a picture to actually just describe it in detail. Uh, but it's you'll like, see it. We'll, we'll be putting it up on the Instagram, WCW Thunderpod on Instagram. So yeah, go well, there, there you go. There, there's the teaser. We'll put it up on the Instagram. Um, but yeah, my God. Like, even by 1994 standards, this outfit was outrageous. Uh, Buck and Aaron kick off the match uh, and I'm immediately distracted because he's such a magnetic personality. You're immediately distracted by Terry just standing on the ropes roaring abuse at Aaron Anderson. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I, I want to say I'm, I, I'm wrong. Jesse was on commentary for this one. Ah, yeah, I, I thought it was two matches he got. Yeah, no, um, I'll I, I stand corrected on that one because he mentions that he, uh, just just out, out of the blue, he just goes, oh yeah, I wrestled Terry Funk to a one-hour draw in 1976. <laughs> no big deal. 
and I, I refuse to believe that Jesse Ventura went an hour in a wrestle match. Yeah, I refuse to watch that because I imagine what he's like sucking air 30, 40 minutes into a match. 15. Uh, I'd yeah, say, yeah. I was, be, I was being really generous. <laughs> you know, they say Greg, Greg uh, Valentine was a slow starter. I yeah. doubt fucking, I doubt uh, Jesse was starting at all. No, maybe it's in that like last quarter hour where he really comes alive. You never know. It might be like an Okada match, you know, that, that finishing stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesse Ventura to Okada. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, like, one thing I want to talk about in this match is, like, the natural Dustin Rhodes. And, like, he's a young guy in this match. Obviously, a guy still wrestling today, but, like... I really liked him as the fiery baby face mm-hmm. in this match. Oh yeah, this uh, this match was just all about Dustin. Like his performance here as the the face in peril, just getting beat down and beat down consistently, and just refusing to stay down. Like and like he never tags out, which is like it's the best part because you never see Aaron attacking, um, Funk and Book, so he never actually has to get physical with those two. Yeah. But like Dustin in this match, like. I don't think... Like, people are now starting to appreciate Dustin Rhodes as a wrestler. Yeah. But, like, at the time, he just got awful shit for being the son of Dusty Rhodes. He was not yeah. appreciated in his time at all. To no. to to the to the uh, point that he felt he had to go to the WWF and become this outrageous Goldust character that, mm. to his credit, nobody else would have made last. No. Like, how that character endured multiple decades and multiple eras of that company is unbelievable. But, like, you, you, um, you see a talent like Dustin Rhodes now. That guy should be a multiple-time world champ at a time when being a world champ mattered. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he's just brilliant here. I was just completely absorbed by him. And it's one of those things, the whole Arn not uh, interacting with the other two is great. Uh, in a number of ways because you know it's a situation depending on your level of knowledge you can read both ways Mm -hmm. so if you're watching the match and you don't know the finish is coming you're thinking to yourself wow this is like Dustin is out to prove a point and he's feuding with these two guys and you know what god damn it like Arn is there and you know he appreciates Arn for being there but god damn it if he isn't going to try and put these two guys away by himself he's trying to prove that he's worthy of being Dustin Rhodes like being worthy of the name yeah and in hindsight then you realise oh Aaron didn't want to get involved because Aaron mm-hmm. had an ulterior motive here. Yeah. Like it, it's just a brilliant, like simple bit of psychology I like here. Um, Here's one for you. Being that this is Hogan coming into the WCW and coming into the company in two years' time, obviously we get the big turn. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> How? How amazing of a story would it have been to have Dustin Rhodes, the the kid who was always in WCW, whose father like was one of the early WCW champions, and whatever way you want to frame it, and him being the guy to stand up against the NWO. Yeah. Oh my god. Like it would have been. It would have been something else. Um, and it's just a shame, like you said, that he was never appreciated in his time. But I think that's that's the story of WCW, mm-hmm. isn't it? In a lot of ways. There's just so many guys, like there's another guy coming up, yeah. obviously, in Steve Austin, who like, God, if they'd fucking held on to that guy and seen what they had there, you know, what if, what if. Um, 
But yeah, Dustin is another one who, like, unfortunately, unlike Steve Austin, who went over to the other side of No Man's Land and became the biggest star in the history of professional <laughs> wrestling, um, we never unfortunately got to that level with Dustin. He's carved out a nice career for himself, don't get me wrong. Um, I think, you know, when he looks at the bank balance at the end of the day, he'll be more than happy. And now, like, he's helping his little brother out in the company that's very much, mm-hmm. like, uh, in the image of the kind of razzling they grew up around. And and you, um, can, you can see the respect he gets from those in that company as well. Yeah, and he's one of the guys who you hear about. Him and Jericho are the guys that seem to be absolutely invaluable to have backstage mm-hmm. to bounce ideas across. You know, kind of in the way that, like, during that period where Heyman came back to WWE and you hear all these people you wouldn't think of as being Paul Heyman people mm-hmm. and they're talking to him and he's always got time for them and having a guy like Dustin with that much knowledge and that much experience and being that underrated, like having his ear would be really beneficial for a young wrestler. Um, but yeah, he he's great throughout this match. Um, there's a great moment where he attempts like... Um, uh, like a flying crossbody off the ropes on book and he misses and slides completely out of the ring down the stairs and up the ramp and it looked like it absolutely killed him dead oh that um, that, that stairs bump is just fucking that's great like you can't help but feel bad for the guy like yeah and Je- Jesse takes his opportunity to bury Johnny B. Bad for leaving all the confetti out there again <laughs> maybe we have more in common with Jesse than we thought yeah, b- uh, back into the ring and uh, Terry Funk off camera is uh, positioning a chair and immediately as soon as he grabs the chair, Tony tells on him on commentary and says, Terry Funk has a chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of this match again is you know getting heat yeah. on Dustin it's uh, building up the, the nasty heels cutting off corners beating him down and then I, I love there's a spot where Funk hits a pile driver for a near fall yeah but it's because Aaron pulls Funk off mm. and retrospectively you can look back at that as Aaron just yeah. wants the kid to get beat down even more yeah um, it's great there and then like we talked about we've mentioned AEW a couple of times on this show but this kind of bit in this match reminded me of there was a tag match uh, not too long ago uh, where Darby Allen was his own hot tag yeah and that's kind of what Dustin does here where Dustin's getting beaten and beaten and beaten and then just basically Dustin's up and starts yeah. beating the fucking shite out of the other two lads um, he, ba- he basically fires up and goes on his own until he, until he has literally nothing left yeah, and the crowd are going crazy, and he's just like throwing the two, like Buck and Terry Funk, just throwing them at each other head first. Uh, he finally attempts a cover, but he sees in the corner of his eye that Buck is going up to the top rope. Uh, he crotches him and throws him off the top rope at Terry Funk, and then Dustin finally tags Aaron Anderson, and Aaron immediately DDTs Dustin <laughs> and co- covers him with the deceased body of Terry Funk. Um, and I, and then, I love how fired up Aaron gets into the ring. Yeah, and like pumping the arms and like yeah, fucking Dave Ray's gonna kick their ass, and then he just grabs Dustin DDT, <laughs> DDT, and then a huge beatdown, obviously focusing on Dustin's arm. Uh, mean Gene attempts to interview Aaron as he's on his way up the ramp, and Aaron blows him off. So yeah, this was um, great storytelling. It's not my like mechanically, it's not my favorite match on the show, but in terms of storytelling, it, it did tell a great story and achieved its goal. I think. Oh yeah, like this was just. You talk about a match telling a story. This was everything you want. This was perfect, and it the the place it leads to. This leads to war games for nineteen ninety four. 
And have you seen that one? Uh, I, I don't think I've seen it in many years. Um, I think I, I was one of the ones I went back and watched when the network first launched in like 2014 or whenever it was. I think the, um, the teams ended up being Dusty, Dustin and the Nasty Boys against the Stud Stable, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. I think so. And yeah, it's a really good match. Like there, There's not yeah. blood or anything, I don't think. I think there's no blood in this one. But mm. it's a really good brawl. Um, but yeah, obviously we get the, the awesome Dusty, the view never changes promo. Yeah off of this as well so like th- th- this is a very important feud in the history of wrestling you'd say mm-hmm. and in kind of like uh again in the big what ifs of like what if they had gone with dustin at some point mm-hmm. you know a lot of money left on the table potentially there historically speaking um but it, it, Tony, it, it, i was just gonna say it's amazing they talk about him as this young kid like dustin had yeah. already been in multiple war games matches he'd already been yeah. u.s champ yeah and he's still just the kid. Yeah. It shows what he had and he just had no idea. Yeah. Truly. Uh, Tony and Brain are now interviewing Hank Aaron, who is there and he's having a great time, he's saying. And when push for an answer is who he's backing for the main event, he says he's pulling for both Hogan and Flair, to which Brain offhandedly quips that, oh, you should run for president then. <laughs> and I think, I think Aaron hears sides. and goes, yeah, I should. <laughs> Yeah, he goes, yeah, I'm quite a politician, and starts cackling. Uh, then, yeah, they plug Fall Brawl in September. On September 18th, uh, War Games is coming. Uh, and then I love that, just to end this little segment and move to the next backstage interview, Brain roars down the camera at Dusty Rhodes to get the pickup truck and come take your boy home. <laughs> I think he also said Dustin had it coming to him. All he was missing is your boy took one hell of a beating. <laughs> Uh, mean Gene backstage with Flair and Sherry and Flair looks like he's in a great mood he's overjoyed having seen his friend Aaron Anderson fuck over Dustin Rhodes I tell you what you talked about uh, Johnny B. Bad's tan oh my god Rick Flair is, is deep mahogany yes <laughs> yeah he's a deep mahogany <laughs> that is for sure uh so Flair's promo about like is pretty good. It's all about mm-hmm. like the dignitaries from all over the world being there, and they're there to see him because he's the greatest of all time. But I really like Sherry's promo. Oh, Dave, I didn't even take notes. I just have this. This is my note word for word. Flair talking up Aaron on Dustin. Really good promo uh, by Flair talking the match to dignitaries, and then I just have Sherry is even better. Guys, like this is the thing, right? If, you, if you've never seen any Sherry, you've never seen her cut promos, you've never seen her as a manager, she was unreal. Yeah. And we've talked about her a few times on the show before, referencing her here and there. Uh, and I feel like I talk about her a lot. And we've mentioned before how, how the thing about Sherry that people always say is that whoever she was with, she improved. Mm-hmm. And the one kind of straw man against that that people have is, well, like, they put her with flair. Like, how do you improve flair? Like, flair's flair. You know, and here is fucking proof. You know, this is like Flair is dastardly. He's mm-hmm. cackling up. He does a good Flair promo. You know, it's not iconic. Uh, it's not one of the, the the top five Flair promos of all time. But then it comes to Sherry, and you know, she just Flair's put, put, She puts it over the top. Like yeah, she... Flair. Flair has talked about how great he is, but mm-hmm. then she is here and she's talking about how this man beside her has nothing to prove, yeah. and Hogan needs to remember that he's coming here and he is the challenger, mm-hmm. and Flair is the champion, and it's just absolutely sensational. Uh, to to borrow a uh, phrase, <laughs> uh, like I can't help but think, 
like I know Sherry was with Savage in ninety two. Yeah. Or sorry, ninety one and then the Savage was retired. Mm. They should have pushed Sherry with Flair right from the start. Oh god, yeah. She was just so good. She's so brilliant. Such a great mind for the business and like this is the thing. It's like you know, I, I she was such a kind of like groundbreaker for women in in the sport cuz like women weren't getting promo time like this on mm-hmm. big pay-per-views. They weren't like not not just anybody was eaten into Ric Flair's promo time. Right. But you know Ric Flair was listening to that and loving it. Like, you know? The only other, like, mainstream woman in wrestling at the time was Elizabeth. Yeah. And Elizabeth didn't really talk. No. Like, she, she'd like, get, like, a little um, little thing at the end of a promo. Like, her thoughts, like, oh, yeah, Randy's going to win or whatever. Like, she'd say just something very, nothing anybody would remember. And that'd be it. Yeah. But like Sherry, yeah. Sherry is just Sherry was one of the boys. Yeah. She I oh God, I just love her. She was great. Mm-hmm. Uh you want to talk about somebody who absolutely deserved their their Hall of Fame entry. Oh, she yeah. was definitely one of them. Um next up we've US title and it's Steamboat versus Stunning Steve Austin. And my God, there there are very few like like dastardly uh shit heap heel Steve Austin was terrific in this match from the moment he comes out and you see he's got the the trunks with Dragon Slayer mm-hmm. written on them and just like the just the acting like an absolute piece of shit we talked about him and Pillman on um on Pick Your Poison with Jamesy uh, and this is just an extension of that kind of behavior where he's just being an absolute dickhead for this whole match and by contrast as well um he's also He's great at the being the dickhead heel that you want to see beaten. But at various points in this match as well, Lee, uh, with Steamboat, he's great as the cowardly heel finally getting his comeuppance. Yeah. You know, those moments where Steamboat has him. Uh, in particular, there's a moment where he has him hung on the outside in a Tree of Woe-like position and just starts throwing bombs at him. And you're just like, fucking yeah! For people who've only ever seen, like... 1998, 1999, 2000, Steve Austin. Well, obviously not 2000, but um, 98, 99, Steve Austin at his peak. Go back and watch, like you said, shit-eating heel Steve Austin who bumps like a fucking lunatic for faces. Like, he is flying all over the place for Ricky Steamboat in this match. In in terms of, like, if if you take out the character and stuff like that and just look at how he moves... Like obviously pre broken neck, it's it's just a different guy. Mm-hmm. I I, you know I, I, I mean? recently watched um, the Bret Hart convers- uh, broken skull conversation. What do they call broken skull? Broken skull sessions. Sessions, and I watched the one with Bret Hart recently, and Austin said it himself. Before the neck injury, um, he was a totally different wrestler. But even if he didn't get the neck injury, he wanted to change up the style. And he talks yeah. he talks about this on the on the show, and you know Austin became that brawler that you know he became renowned as. But like if you look at Austin in 1993, 94, he was a technical wrestler. He was an own heart type for the the lack of a better uh, comparison. He mm. he flew around for the faces, and very much like Regal, he he snuck out with the title at the end. 
Um, yeah, I, I just loved him here. Like, there's bits in the match where Steamboat is getting a bit too too hot in the offense for him, so he goes to the outside mm-hmm. or whatever, and he starts selling the leg or the arm, playing possum so he can take a breather. And then when he when he gets back in and he's underhanded and takes control of the match again, he turns to the crowd and says, like, oh, you know, I think I'm feeling better. Uh, I, I love that where he, he does the double leapfrog, and on the second um, leap, he comes down clutching the knee. And yeah. Tony having absolutely none of it. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> this is an old Hollywood blonde trick. Like, no, he's not hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he just and he hits a he hits a low blow on Steamboat in the corner, and Brain's like, yeah. ah, there's that trick knee again. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a bit like brain property going. Like maybe he did get better. <laughs> yes, like, he's like, he's, so, he's you, you never know what those trick knees. He said sometimes it goes right, it goes left, it goes forward. Sometimes it goes back. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Uh, I loved Austin as well doing like the the, the dragon poses, oh, uh, taunting him while yeah. he was down. Um, he, he talks about it like around the two thousand one era, like he wanted to be a heel. Yeah, like, it, he it, clearly like because even if you watch his heel, like much as it's obviously like he basically killed the attitude era stone dead by the the timing of the turn. Uh, as well as everything else but like you can tell watching his performances on screen as a heel in the months that followed mm-hmm. them that like this guy has always preferred being a heel it's almost blasphemous to say but he's almost better as a heel <laughs> look right so see Boston I, was never a face yeah I, I'm a big fan of the Attitude Era podcast mm-hmm. um and like I recently like since all this shite started I re-listened to their season on the invasion and I was kind of watching some of the segments along with it. And I'm like, like in terms of like entertaining performances, like Austin's heel run in 2001, like is immense. Obviously, in terms of like the bigger picture, it was business destroying. Oh, if you watch it, <laughs> you if know? you watch that stuff in isolation, it is. Yeah. I think the run from, okay, what was Judgment Day was the last match with Taker, wasn't it? The tag match. Uh, I want to say so. Yeah. And then it was into King of the Ring, wasn't it? Yeah, so the the, the the three way, the run from the night after King of the Ring, well, include King of the Ring because that's a really good three way, um, from King of the Ring right through until the night after Survivor Series, yeah, it's one of the best I want to say six months periods of Steve Austin's yeah. career, but but even yeah because like you have um like he goes from full on comedy heel to yeah paranoid fucking schizophrenia to yeah. like honestly yeah so like firstly like him angle and vince uh every segment they did is Gold. like in in the top 10 mm-hmm. uh comedy that like it, it's funny like he doesn't maybe get the credit he deserves as a comedic presence but like so many of my all-time top wrestling comedy skits are either the period with him vince and angle or it's him and booker t in the supermarket oh you know there there's so much that involves steve austin he was so good uh, and yeah the paranoid uh the paranoid guy as the head of the alliance i loved um and do you, do you, know, do you had- know what i get shit on now yeah but what was genius at the time like it was i don't it, it got over for a reason yeah oh yeah like it it, it, it i think the legacy of the what chant is obviously like awful <laughs> we could have done without yeah. i would probably go back in a time machine and get rid of it but it, like the genesis of it and like how he utilized it while he was there it's a shame it got kind of hijacked yeah. 
um because it was great and i always like if you've never heard uh christian telling the story about the voice it was oh, the voicemail vo- that that he came up with it yeah. basically he left a long rambling voice message on christian's phone just to entertain himself where about halfway through the voice message he just starts doing the what <laughs> to He's like, i went to dairy queen what <laughs> yeah, but Dairy Queen, what? <laughs> and I find that fascinating that Steve Austin and Christian would exchange voicemails. They wouldn't talk to each other. But in between shows, yeah. they would just ring each other and leave rambling like 20 minute voicemails for the other guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, yeah, he even has some, some great like moments and matches during that period as well. Because like, I love one of my favorite matches from that whole time period is him and Angela SummerSlam. Oh, what a match. Oh, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, an underrated period. Like, obviously, again, like we said, if you put in all the context of what it did to the business, it's absolutely one of the worst ideas that's ever happened. But, like, just on a creative level, and in terms of pure entertainment and acting performance, he was sensational. And he was sensational during this match. Like, he's showing that, that he's just, like, no matter what role he's playing, mm-hmm. he can turn his hand to it and be amazing here. Like, the, the, there's um, a point where he has a Steamboat hung over the middle rope and he just looks down the camera and starts waving Steamboat's hand saying hi to everyone. Yeah, hi everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, towards the end of the, the match now, and Dragon goes for the axe handle. Austin tries but fails to put the ref in the way. The ref is like, hey, and tries to DQ him, but Dragon is the, the valiant baby face and the crafty vet who wants a belt. Um, he protests uh, to get the match to keep going. Um both men off the ropes. Steamboat hits a running crossbody, but Austin reverses, attempts one pin, and then goes for a second rope with considerable leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, you know, it kind of snaps the suspension of disbelief when the referee is so close in and he somehow can't see yeah, this. Uh, but I do love in the replay after Austin wins and gets away with it how Brain was like, oh, he accidentally got his his his, his trick knee caught in the ropes. <laughs> it all comes back to that trick knee. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, just sensational stuff like you say if that was the only fuck finish on the show it would have been perfect for for the heel that Steve Austin was yeah it was just being the fucking the fourth one out of four matches it does wear on you Uh, then we have a piss up party backstage with Bunk Parker Funk Men uh, Meng Arn and women (laughs) Uh, (laughs) unidentified women (laughs) yeah Aaron manages to cut a pretty decent promo about how you, you you dealt with the devil and you should have known what you were getting. Um, and he manages to cut this off and not crack, even though for half the promo he's being he's getting champagne poured over him by the lads. Terry Funk just decides to pour a whole bottle of champagne over Aaron's head. Yeah. If it were anyone else, Aaron would have clocked him. <laughs> yeah. But I think Terry, yeah. Terry Funk has the... Uh, the leeway to get away with such a thing no one's gonna no one no one's gonna throw a punch at that crazy old bastard um i i love uh the very end of this i was just gonna say gene as they're cutting i think the screen had already cut back it did yeah yeah it's cutting back and you can still hear the audio from backstage and mean dad gene okerland decides to scold the women and you ladies should be ashamed of yourselves Oh, what a line. And you can't help but think Gene was just jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's a peak being Gene. Yeah, we need to get the footage from those college campus parties and see oh, what a bastard he was. Uh, next up, we have the semi main event, and it was pretty wonderful being Mr. Wonderful and Paul Roma versus Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack with Dave Sullivan. 
this is the point at which I wrote in my notes and then text, fuck you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so you should give a running note on what you were, you were sending me during this match because I was eating my dinner while you, right. while you were watching this. Right. And I couldn't help okay. but laugh as the as the messages rolled in. Okay, I will I will read a transcript of what I sent to you during this match because my notes aren't much more eloquent than this. Okay, <clears throat> I wrote, "I am five minutes into this tag match and I hate you." <laughs> then I said, "Mr. Wonderful is the most ironic name in the history of the business." <laughs> Then a moment later I wrote three, three quarters of the participants in this match are absolute dog shit. <laughs> then you wrote four fifths. You forgot Dave. I said very true. And then I just resorted to all caps as I do when I'm animated and annoyed. I wrote how is this match still happening? What the fuck is this? <laughs> and then I said how is this? Because I started looking up the times then to see how much I had left to endure. I said, how is this only four seconds longer than the US title match? Because honestly, it felt like about an hour long. And then, what the fuck was that finish? Yeah. <laughs> so you just encapsulated the whole match for me, basically, with your own messages. Because yeah. I I sent you a message on Sunday saying, I'm struggling with this. Or Sorry, it was Monday. Yeah. It was Monday afternoon. I had yeah. watched the majority, the first half of the show on Sunday. And thought it was good, mm-hmm. it was fine. And then I got to this match and I I saw the runtime left. And I was like, right, the main event isn't going that long. And I was like, this match is gonna be like 20, 25 minutes. Mm. And I just I just didn't want to get back into it. Uh, it was <laughs> and so... having watched it, I knew I was right. <laughs> yeah. Right, so you said like my messages summed up this match. There's a, a there's a passage in this match that I think sums up the whole thing, and so there's a sixty second spell, uh, approximately a million minutes into this match, where Paul Roma goes to jump from the mat up onto the middle rope, and in that one movement, he nearly falls over twice. <laughs> <laughs> and then after he eventually comes off the top rope, Orndorff comes in and does the, like, right, I've been to a lot of weddings in my time. And this was the worst dancing I've ever seen. His, his like, mockery dance. Uh, you're, you're longing for disco now, aren't you? In the I know, right? In the direction of Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack. It was meant to be an ironically bad one, but it twists all the way in around on itself again, and I was I was livid <laughs> at this point. Um, and the other thing, right? So there's four men in this match, like I mentioned. There's Paul Orndorff, there's Paul Roma, there's Kevin Sullivan, there's Cactus Jack. There is one man who is officially in this match who has a fucking clue what he's doing, and it's Cactus Jack. And Lee, I'm looking at my notes here. He did fucking nothing in this match. He basically did nothing. He, he got pinned. Fucking, that, that's why he, he got, got pinned. Yeah. yeah. And oh, let's talk about that pin, Lee. <laughs> please, please explain to the gentle listeners at home how this match finished. Okay, so I don't know the build up to this, but somehow Paul Roma and. Bullshit. Bullshit <laughs> is, the, is the build up to this. Somehow, like 37 minutes into the match, Paul Roma has Cactus Jack by the legs at the ropes. And, you know, the whole spot of, you know, somebody goes for a suplex and the partner hooks the legs and they get the cover. 
that that's a, a shitty finish in the best of times. Well, this finish wasn't that. This was he just dragged Cactus to the ground, and his feet weren't under the ropes. Oh no, his feet were nearly touching the ground. Yeah, and the, the, an entire half of this man's body was under was under and beyond the ropes. Like his knees were beyond, like on the crease of the apron. There is no way, like in kayfabe or out, that the referee did not see that this man, like. The only way it could be more ridiculous is the only thing in the ring was the man's head and he just pinned the man's head. It wasn't that far off. It, it really wasn't. And basically, Orndorff just crawls on top for a cover and you get the tree count. And it's a fittingly shit finish for what was probably one of the worst tag matches I've ever seen. Oh, it was so... I felt like... Because I, I, when they came to the ring and you told me that the tag match was bad... They came to the ring and I was like, Mick Foley's involved in this. Like, it, surely. Like, surely it can't. Like, they had... But then, they like, had then the other, they had Kev, the other side... Uh, they had Kevin Sullivan and Cactus against the Nasty Boys at the last pay-per-view. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, the Nasty Boys are no great shakes. <laughs> but my God, how I wanted to see that match instead of this one. Like, ah, oh, it was so... Because that was the other thing. Like, I was thinking, oh, Mick Foley's in this. How bad can it be? But I wasn't factoring in that they were against Paul Roma, who is, like, in the conversation. With, like, I, I know people were talking about who was worse, Mongo or Paul Roma. And it is a debate because, like, depending on the clip, depending on the match, like, there's definitely a good shout for either one of them. Um, And then Mr. Wonderful, who I said, ironic title. Uh, that, that that's your like WrestleMania this, main eventer, Paul Orndorff. Well, this is the thing as well. Like, look, you know, if you're a child of the '80s, I might be crushing some dreams here. He was never very good at all, uh, like a lot of those guys around that time. But this was a very much past his prime, Mister Wonderful. Like, whatever hope you had of him putting together something half decent in the mid 1980s, this was a whole decade later, mm-hmm. and he was a whole decade worse. Uh, and, and then you just have the fucking like the just Dave Sullivan flashing his Hulkamania t-shirt every few minutes as well Dave did you look up who Dave Sullivan is I this is one of those things where I think I know already but um, I, I it, it feels like a thing I forgot whether it's reading from a WCW book or something like that it's something I when you say it I will remember oh see I didn't look it up <laughs> I thought you All I right. thought you would have. I, I know where this story leads because as a kid I had a best of fall brawl VHS and for some inexplicable reason there was a match between Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan on it from nineteen ninety four, which was a loser leaves match and Dave at this point had become Evid. Yes, so that's the thing. He plays the dyslexic brother of Kevin yes. Sullivan. Uh, I, I'm just looking it up here so yeah he was in from 1993 to 1996 he was previously known as Captain Ron the one I was trying to remember is that he would later be known as the Equalizer Jesus uh, which I thought was the most like kind of generic action movie sort of name and American Hawkwind as well um, they had to be like yeah. Saturday night fucking jobber names didn't they yeah, trained by Len Denton, so it's his fault. <laughs> uh, and he was he was a, a football player until 
my god he debuted in 1989 and retired in 2001 yeah um his, uh, so he decided to become a wrestler after he he met harley race at a high school tournament jesus so, so it's all harley's fault <laughs> yeah i've i've definitely there's definitely i don't know if it's in death of wcw there's definitely a passage about the whole dave sullivan thing uh, in some book i want I've to read. say it's death of wcw yeah because it seems like something that already you'd write about yeah oh just oh yeah not not good stuff uh the match or the character of dave sullivan um so yeah, this I'm. I'm just. I wrote at my very end of my notes for this match. Just said fuck off. Yeah. Um, I, so that'll tell you how I felt. I can categorically say that to anyone that listens to this, if you go watch this show after hearing us talk about it, just skip this match. Just to skip yeah. it. Yeah. Like I'm not. We're we're not like super duper high on what's to follow, but like it's a fucking stone cold classic compared to this match. Um, we got a prelude to the main event. Uh, they're talking about how it's the match everybody wants to see. Tony, <laughs> I love this. Tony says everyone in WCW is delighted to see Hogan as part of the organization. Bray's like, I'm not. <laughs> he takes absolute <laughs> offense at that comment. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like I take exception to that. Uh, he says, I've been waiting for this night my whole life. I've been waiting to see Hogan made a fool of. Hogan should be sweeping the floors in this building, not in the ring. <laughs> I I love his comment after this to Shivani. Shivani says like he'd rather be. There's nowhere else in the world he'd rather be right now. And Heenan just pops in with like, so you wouldn't rather be at the Super Bowl or the World Series or the Stanley Cup Finals, and and yeah. Shivani just matter of fact is like no, and Heenan goes, you're absolutely right because neither would I, and it just yeah, yeah, yeah. and it just like just puts over like him. how big this is, <laughs> but yeah, put over how big it is, but also he was clearly trying to catch yeah. Shivani out. <laughs> yeah, well neither was I. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got main event time. Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle is here. Uh, y- as you for- you forgot something. <laughs> No, I didn't. I just don't want to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Buffer. Nineteen ninety four, and it's Michael Buffer. God, he's just he's omnipresent. Awful. <laughs> he's awful. He's so bad during this. Um. So yeah, honored guest. Hang, hang on. Do you think going back to like the beginning of our show, where we talked about um the MCU? That WCW ended because Michael Buffer clicked his fingers. <laughs> no, I think that um, and the paycheck stopped this coming. Is, this is a really deep cut, so you're, you're, this this will absolutely sail over your head. And if it doesn't, I'll I'd be very impressed at your nerd cred. Uh, Michael Buffer is Uatu the Watcher, um, who's this character that's like constantly in the background. His job is to be in the background of major events in the comics universe in Marvel, but never actually get involved in any sort I've of way. I've heard of the character, so, yes. Yeah, so there's a there's a, a there's a reference in one of the films to him. Um, I won't say which one, but like that's the closest yet. Like as a character, he hasn't shown up properly yet. I'm assuming he's in um, um this the second. What did it rightly call it? I know that this is the second series. Cool. Of what? The, the oh, movies. The, the next. I think it's like I. I this they call it'll be the next saga. It's saga. Call the whole yeah. Thing, yeah. The saga. Yeah. The whole thing. The Infinity Saga. So yeah, they'll run out with guys eventually, and like there's there's good there's a couple of good storylines. Uh, there's a really good one in the comic books about who killed the Watcher. Um, 
because it's supposed to be an immortal being and he gets murdered and it's a whodunit. It's, it's pretty good. But uh, yeah, that's basically what Buffer is. Like he's he's just consistently in the background through the history of WCW. And you're just like, why is he there? He's not doing anything. Why is he there? <laughs> um, except here he actually is doing something that is just being terrible. Um, Flair is out. He's all smiles. He's got that, that main event tan on as you discussed earlier on. How, how do you feel then, about uh, Flair coming out first? Don't like it. I'm a traditionalist in that way. Champion has to come out last. I know it's Hogan's first show, but fuck it. Like, you know, these traditions need to be there for a reason. The champion needs mm-hmm. to be the number one guy. He needs to enter last. It is such a pet hate of mine. Yeah. Like, you know the way I always talk on the show? Uh, I, I've mentioned it three or four times, I know, on old shows about how one of my incredible pet hates in wrestling is crowd brawling. Yeah. Uh possibly right up alongside crowd brawling is when the champion doesn't enter last and I know, I know JR I, used to do a good job of it saying that oh the champion asked to come out first yeah I don't uh, like I just don't like it at all um, I I think it sends you know not like obviously it's kind of a niche within a niche of people who care you even notice that it's mm-hmm. usually the champion that enters last but like I think on some level it does send a, a message to a cohort of fans from the start that Hogan is more important than the belt. Yeah. Um, and I know that's how the company would basically treat both Hogan and the belt for many years to come, that Hogan was more important than the belt. You know, when, Ho- when Hogan had the belt, it was because, you know, Hogan was putting the belt over and when Hogan didn't have the belt, it was because Hogan was too important to have the belt at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, but you know anyway uh, Hogan gets his big entrance then uh, to uh, American Made which is on the show for the first time yeah so this is something I wanted to, to ask you what do you think of American Made as the, the Hulk Hogan song okay I don't hate it I quite enjoy it on an ironic level but it's it's not real American That that's the yeah. thing it's like real American is an awful song but for wrestling music, it is fucking man- magnificent. Yeah, it's 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 one of the, the top in the kind of genre mm. of wrestling music. Uh, yeah, American Made is not, it's not real American and it's not Voodoo Child, which is uh, unquestionably his uh, coolest, coolest yeah. <laughs> entrance song. But like, and it's like, like Amer- I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe when they gave that to him again in, oh, in WWE know, yeah. that they paid for it. I was so happy. Uh, that he got it and it's such a shame I'm almost like I, I haven't gone back to 2002 Smackdown in a long time because while, you know it's I'm not going to be there almost certain that's yeah. been dubbed yeah yeah um, and, but yeah Amer- uh, it's it, American Made is alright American Made is the song that you can play for anyone that's not even a wrestling fan and you ask them yeah. what song that is and they'll say oh it's Hulk Hogan song what's funny is like if you think about the period where I got into wrestling that's the first Hulk Hogan song I knew American Made because by the time I ha- I started watching wrestling, he was already gone from WWE. Oh my WWF. god, yeah, Jesus. I'm post-Hulkamania era. I didn't start watching until 96. Did, did, did I say American Made there? I meant Real American is a song you play and people will recognise it. Um, but Amer- yeah, like yeah. American Made, it's a good substitute. It really is. Yeah. It Now that I think about it, the first time I might have heard Real American was when it was being used as the Stooges theme music. Oh my god, Jesus. Cause, it, cause when like I, I I was watching this again recently, and when Briscoe and Patterson had their evening game match, they both came out to Real American. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> I have wiped that from my memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so that might be the first time I heard that. But like, as soon as I, I think the first time I watched loads of kind of old, because obviously there was no network when we were growing mm-hmm. up. I got that big hardback WrestleMania book that had the the DVD with like some of the kind of iconic matches from WrestleMania history. Andre and Hulk. So that was probably. Was on it. Yeah, that was probably my first dip into Hulkamania. Oh um, my god, we'll see some of that. Now, stuff. now, now so I feel a lot older than you. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, no, it's interesting. Like, because you're not, you're only a couple of years know. older than me. But it's it's literally just that window where I was literally like I missed all of Hulkamania and a good portion like oh, I would have been technically around for the last year of the new generation mm-hmm. um, like I, I, I'm weird in that like I was a literal child when I started watching wrestling like I, I was literally yeah, same I, I was I was six years like, old I, I was young I would have been like three yeah. because I was getting like wrestle like uh, wrestling tapes and stuff when I was like four and five yeah I mean, I technically, again, I think I said on the show before, uh, technically the first thing I ever watched in wrestling was the, the Macho Man wedding. Jeez. Um, but I was like a toddler. Yeah. I don't I don't remember it at all. My cousins were super into wrestling, and that's how I got into it then when I was six, was seeing Shawn Michaels come down from the roof and being like, oh, I think this thing is for me. <laughs> like, that, there you go. Like, it, it was, I was six-year-old when I was, like, getting hyped for SummerSlam 92. But like, yeah, but, I've gone back but like, by I've, that I've stage, that I I was fucking well into it already. Like, so yeah, and like I was like, I've gone back and I've watched that Iron Man match, and like, apart from my emotional connection to it, like, it doesn't obviously hold up. Like, people talk about it, like, it's kind of a boring match. But like, you think about like just a six year old, like my first introduction to wrestling, like she, seeing Sean come down from the roof, mm-hmm. and like he's just in the white and gold, looking like the biggest, like fucking, like looking Re- real like life superhero. Looking like a superhero and like this is being put for like, you know, for all the boringness of it, like it's being put together as a real sporting contest. And before you you know better and you see the whole Sean can't fake cry at the end of it, like it does seem like a huge moment you know, when he's bowing in front of the belt mm. and stuff like that. So I was I was gone from that point. Um, But yeah, God, we, we really got off on a tangent rather than talk about this match. But uh, Buffer's introductions for this main event dog shit as usual uh he talks about um he talks about hogan being back from a three-year hiatus now lee do me some math here no. <laughs> um it's wrong dave that's all you need to know yeah yeah uh king of the ring 1993 <laughs> to bash at the beach 1994 now normally i'm the king of loopholes on this show i'm not going to defend that yeah. one it was a year ago yeah yeah <laughs> that's poor uh, like I, I, I was trying how... to think what they were saying his last match was like were they trying to say his last match was the match with Sid Justice at Wrestlemania 7 <laughs> like or rest- yeah it was 7 yeah wasn't it was that 7 yeah. or 8 um oh hold on oh no 7, seven was 91 was Slaughter and then 8 was 92 so they were trying to say the yeah. Slaughter match <laughs> we all remember where, we where he won the belt yeah <laughs> And, just, and then just left, like, apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love, right, in the grand tradition of wrestling directors being idiots, like, say, um, Kevin Dunn missing Edge's first spear in active competition for eight years, or however long it was, or Kevin Dunn again missing AJ Styles' debut at the Royal Rumble. Uh, literally, the moment Hulk Hogan comes through the curtain, the crowd the camera cuts away yep. to a dude dressed up as Hulk Hogan in the crowd yep that's 
that's the kind of shit you have to put up as a wrestling fan. What are you doing? You hear a huge reaction. Just keep the camera steady. This. Like, just keep it where it is. You don't need to change every uh, fucking 10 seconds. Uh, Buffer compares this match to the fucking moon landing. I, I stopped paying attention when I heard that. And then nearly messed up Buzz Aldrin's name. Did you notice yeah, that bit? Yeah, I, I heard it. He, like, stops himself stone dead at Aldrin and can't get the words out for a couple of seconds and eventually does. Um, But then we, we'll get into this. Uh, can the, can we talk about his nickname for uh, Mr. T? Go for it. The Maniac Mugger of Southside Chicago. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, in Hogan's post-show he mentions promo, it. he calls yeah. him... Yeah. So... Well, that's obviously a thing, and uh, this has made me very glad that I wasn't watching wrestling in '94. What the fuck? Yeah. And now, it, are they just acting like he wasn't like a big TV star or something? Uh, I'm just gonna say, is this another racist thing in WCW? Look, it's WCW. You know what I mean? Like they had, unfortunately, a long history with at least borderline racist stuff. So it's not unfair for you to, to start kind of going, mm, was like, it, this, this is one of the biggest stars of TV in the late 80s, and they're talking about him being a maniac mugger from Southside yeah. Chicago, which is the not nice part of Chicago, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, at least that's what they think. Um, but when it gets to the actual match, Lee, it's kind of, you know... It's, it's your I, typical Hogan main event. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's it your is. paint by numbers Hogan now, main event now I like I say I grew up on this type of stuff so I don't mind it yeah it wears tin on me very quick I will say but what I did like was during the segments in this match where Flair is mm-hmm. in control I think more so than a lot of these bog standard Hogan main events I think Flair did look like more of a threat and that's a credit to the man himself yes um, like obviously these type of main events had already worn tin in um wwf a long time before this and very soon after in wcw people would be tired of this kind of formula but like yeah. flair actively felt like he could have won this match and that doesn't yeah. happen very often in the in hogan's early wcw run yeah he's working the leg and he's making it look like he could easily win this um i did appreciate one point that like even though the two guys like it's not like hogan is some kid and flair is the vet it's like just out of uh, just the the kind of gulf in quality and wisdom and ring smarts. There's a point where I don't know if you notice this. Hogan is clearly blown up about halfway mm-hmm. through this match, and Flair just grabs a chin yeah. lock, he, like and right by the ropes, and just sit there. sits sits down on him, and just gets him and calm down. Him, yeah, yeah, lets him catch his breath for a couple of minutes, and then they go back to it. Um, and it was a. It's very noticeable because it's at an unusual point in the match. Yeah, you wouldn't have expected it at that point. Uh, we we as we start going towards the end, we get towards the shenanigans portion where Sherry is repeatedly interfering, uh, including like, and this is the most kind of like you want to talk about inconsistent rules in WCW. Sherry like flat out pulling the ref out of the ring and not being a DQ, and the commissioner of WCW sitting right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not to mention all the dignitaries. Yeah, I mean, president of WCW, Bill Shaw, was there. Yeah, uh, there's a lengthy figure four spot, uh, but unfortunately, I, I think it was one of those things where... I think it worked. Yeah, I, I think they got them around eventually, but I think 
there was no uh, there wasn't the big gasp when the figure four gets locked in that i would have expected because i think the majority of people at least at the start of the hold were just like hogan <laughs> i think look it was one of those results where it was never in doubt yeah considering like he was in attendance and all that but yeah I thought they did. like I said I thought, I thought I enjoyed it I thought they really built to, to the actual win itself very well um, what Hogan, what did you think of Hogan's figure for? Um, it's not on the kind of um, rock doing a sharpshooter level but see Hogan put it on like a shoe halt Hogan didn't do the kind of yeah. showy twist around the leg which is the whole reason yeah. Flair does that is just for show yeah, it was a very, Hogan, Ho- it was a Hogan puts it on like an actual move yeah, which uh, which is so the thing some people the, don't realize the figure four legitimately can hurt you. Yeah, it's like he he didn't do the. It's one of those things where, you know, why some people say that um like the casual fan isn't going to get Zach Saber Junior mm-hmm. for example because the guy moves so quick that the casual fan doesn't understand why something hurts. Um. So I, I think the same is true of the, the, the level of theatricality that gets added to the figure four is to sell to the crowd yeah. the figure four is coming and it hurts because, look, I'm twisting the leg, you know. um. So, yeah, maybe that's what, like, it got the reaction because, oh, Hogan's putting in the, the, the figure four. Mm-hmm. But I think because it usually comes with that little uh, that little twist at the start, the theatricality from Flair, uh, maybe it isn't appreciated as much. So it isn't that it's a kind of loose mm-hmm. and looking terrible like uh, I mentioned Rock Sharpshooter, for example. But because of the lack of theatricality, it maybe doesn't look as good in yeah, that way. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so yeah, Hogan tries out one of his own. Uh, Flair tries to utilize the, the brass knuckles that, that Sherry passed him, but Hogan eventually hulks up, hits the big boot, leg drop of doom, gets the win, and Brain is inconsolable. I have a great callback we just watched the 92 rumble and brain's call at the end of that is just screaming yes 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 whereas at the end of this one he's just literally screaming no 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 and i can't help but compare them and it's just brilliant it's the antithesis of the 92 rumble this like this win ruined his life yeah and like the fact that that it's flair and it's all just i i as soon as i hear them like crying into the microphone yeah, I just I, I was brought instantly back to that, and like you said, the perfect antithesis, antithesis to to that. It was one step short of like uh, the Jericho weeping uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we had a couple of months ago on the show. Uh, then we get the kind of like it's weird. We almost get like a little post show because obviously had time left, um, and Brain is beside himself as Hogan walks backstage, and you can see. Doug Dillinger, you can see a young Eric Bischoff mm-hmm. and the Beefer himself. Oh, the hangers on backstage. Yeah, yeah, in time. Hacksaw. Uh, then, hack, yeah, the hacker. The second time I've heard this, this is obviously like people just call him the you, hacker. You, you didn't realize that, did you know? No, because like I, they was it so because he, he's appeared a bunch of times on Thunder, yeah. and no one has ever called him the hacker until was it Marshall? one match he had, where I think Marshall calls him. Yeah, the and hacker, you lost and your shit for it. Yeah. Yeah, because like you think about the period, like this is the start of the dot com bubble. When we're watching this, and it's like I just love the idea of like it just it gave me an image of Axel on his two by four sitting at a computer. I was like, this is the funniest thing Te- I've ever teaching thought of. Sammy Callahan his ways. 
<laughs> yeah, so I just think now now that it's established that hacker is uh, is just a thing he was called, it's just it it might be even stranger to me. Um, he cuts a promo with Gene, and it's your boy, it's your boilerplate oh, yeah. promo. Talk about how everything that was new is old again. He had Mister T, he had Shaq in the crowd, and in my favorite line, like I love Cherry's pro earlier on, but goddamn, I was rolling at this line where he said he even had George Foreman giving him tips on the Hulkaphone, brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which solidified to me that Hulk Hogan thinks he's Batman. Like everything is like the Hulk mobile, the Hulk cave, the Hulk viper, the fucking Hulk phone. <laughs> like loved it. The Hulk Harley. Yeah. <laughs> and like Beaver's obviously his his boy wonder. Um, oh. That is the end. That, of that's Bash a shuddering thought to end on, isn't it? That's the end of Bash at the Beach '94. Lee, what did you think of the show in general? And uh, give me a winner and a loser. Oh, uh, I regret picking this show to first to rewatch. You should feel bad about it. Look, historically, I'm glad we watched it. There were some good parts. There, re- there really was. Like, we, we just literally went over. Like, we, we loved Austin on this show. We enjoyed Dustin on the show. Everything else. Like, I, I enjoyed the main event, but I get why you wouldn't. Mm. Sherry. Sherry comes out of the show with great credit. But I, I, had to, I think... The winners are the winner of the show is Austin. Austin was just fucking brilliant the whole time he was on yeah. the show. The loser, <sighs> uh, God, us for watching the semi main. That that tag match. Yeah, I think yeah, the loser was probably Mick Foley for being associated stuck yeah. in that match when he could have done so much better. Um, uh, well, this is obviously yeah, coming towards I, the end of Cactus in WCW. Um, and more's the better for it. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for another episode of Days of Thunder. We're back, as I said at the top of the show, doing weekly shows throughout the month of May. Next week will be... Go uh, Home Thunder. Thunder. It'll be the Go Home Thunder for Road Wild, and then the following week will be either uh, our next pay-per-view retro review, or it will be a Pick Your Poison if we get round to it. Uh, it's looking probably, based on my schedule anyway, it's looking more like it's going to be the other pay-per-view review at this point. But look, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but we will have a show for you every week throughout the month of May if we can if we can manage it. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening again. At WCW Thunderpod on Twitter is where you want to go to check out uh, our shows as we post them. Talk with us on there. Again, we love interacting with the Thunder mm-hmm. Buddies on there. Please do not ever hesitate to tweet us your thoughts on the show, your thoughts, uh, and I mean like the show we're watching and this show, the podcast, because it's the only way we improve, the only way we get good feedback uh, and know what you're like and what you're not like and is to hear from you guys, the Thunder Buddies. And we, we always appreciate every single piece of feedback that we get uh, over here at the program. Uh, we also have our new, brand new Instagram, instagram.com uh, slash Thunderpod where now instead of Twitter, that's where we're going to be posting our beers after every show. And I think we might start accompanying that with our our star ratings for our beers. Um, So you can check out our beers on there and various other kind of fun things and clips. I'm kind of experimenting with Instagram video to see how I can work with that, or Instagram TV, should I say, because I was trying to put up the, the whole 
uh, Aaron promo from last week's show and I couldn't get it working right so I'm I'm working on that and hopefully we'll have some cool video clips we're gonna have a photo of Dustin looking like a fucking cream egg up there this week uh, so go check it out um, also as announced last week on the program uh, wcwthunderpod.wordpress.com Beyond the Thunder Road it's the new blog that we launched last week to tremendous success we've had a lot of people uh, really truly blown away by the amount of people signing up uh, to get email notifications and stuff when we do start posting blogs uh, I'm targeting as you're listening to this about a week or so from when this show comes out i'm looking to launch my first blog post i just need to get through the little bit of work i'm doing outside the show at the moment so that i have the time to sit back and watch uh, uncharted territory beyond wrestling's uncharted territory and start doing a couple of write-ups of that uh, and lee will also have con- uh, content coming uh, it's kind of one of those things like i said uh, in the intro post for the blog it's even more a labor of love mm-hmm. than the podcast so we're not going to write stuff just to put stuff up on there if something gets written and put up on that wordpress it's going to be because it's something that we're into that we want to write about um so you know that we're not just it, wasting it's your time something on there. that we will have felt that was worth sharing with people we're not just put we're not hun- just putting it up there to put it up there yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, as well, you know, it's something I, I I've said in the last few uh, podcasts as well. But like, tell a friend about Days mm-hmm. of Thunder. You know, we really appreciate it. And word of mouth is how we've gotten as far as we have, and it's how we'll get even further in the future. So we really appreciate everybody we've seen on Twitter or everywhere else, or people who aren't even tagging us in tweets and just telling a friend. You know, uh, Days of Thunder might be the podcast for you. We really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, for another and look, episode, if we can get Liv Morgan to listen, all the better. <laughs> yeah, noted fan of Ready to Rumble, Liv Morgan. Oh, we've got about five and a half years to try and angle for her to be on the uh, the Ready to Rumble watch along that we'll definitely be doing. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, individually, I'm at the date Dave on Twitter. Lee is at Malone underscore 713. As well uh, as we're doing WCW pay-per-views, that stuff has gone up on the uh, on the Grapple app Um recently so if you want to check out what other people are thinking um that's as good a place as any to go i think um but uh yeah for another episode of days of thunder for bash the beach 94 a a show in some ways i'm glad to put in the rear view mirror for now i've been dave ryan man of the line is liam alone we'll see you at our next stop on thunder road I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars